You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Boss Hog Liberty Podcast. This is episode number 167 of East Central Indiana's Favorite Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Morrill. Today I am joined by uh, producer Chris Guffey. Hello. I, we're going to call him a co-host because he's been here three out of the last four weeks. Zach Bircham is here. Glad to be back. And who are you introducing, Zach? You've got to do Dakota's job because he is on assignment. His assignment, uh, yeah, is given to him by Audrey, is he has to be a dad tonight. We'll get introduced to my left, Pat Bremer. He runs the smalltrailerenthusiast.com page. He's a, it's like small campers. If you're not into like big 40 footers, and then I'll let you introduce to your right. Cause I'm not sure if I got his name down. Yet. So it's Rusty Eckstein and you're with Mount Comfort RV, Mount Comfort RV yeah, in Greenfield, Indiana. You guys don't claim Mount Comfort, huh? You know, I don't know. Is it, is it a city? Is it a town? I, I, don't, I don't know. know. It's in your, your it company name. It is a strange name. thing that where your address is probably technically our, our, Greenfield. Our address is Greenfield. I, I'm yeah. not sure Greenfield knows that we're in Greenfield, but <laughs> we're Greenfield. Oh, trust me. If somebody, this is, this is normally kind of a political show. Uh, not tonight, hopefully. Uh, we're going to more of an economic show and a fun show, but, uh, if, if somebody collects taxes from you guys, they know that you're Oh, they there. know it then. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't forget your name then. They yeah, know. They know then. <laughs> So Rusty is here, and you, uh, if you guys drive through on I seventy from Indianapolis out here to the uh, to Boss Hogland, they're uh, they're on the right side or the south side of the road, south side. with all those diesel pushers lined up on the uh, right on the on the money row. Yeah, and that's that's crazy. Right now we have well, normally we have five hundred plus RVs in stock, and I think we're gonna get to it later. Yep. But right now it's like less than two fifty. It's incredible. It's, and it's a insane. boat. Did you sell the boat yet? <clears throat> we got another boat. We sold yeah. that boat. We got another boat. Yeah, you guys always have like interesting stuff in that far corner. <laughs> It's like that's kind of the oddball. That's the point. That's the oddball like, stuff. It's yes. like when we get the trucks in on that's, trade and the boats and we throw it out That's the category the of weird shit Rusty took they shouldn't have that they have to get rid of. <laughs> Usually I call Pat, but. Yeah. <clears throat> Normally, I'm not, I'm not commuting right now. I'm working from home. Right? It sounds like that you're getting a lot of window shopping based on the construction on 70. So people have a little bit more time to check out what's going on there. People are just stuck it's been in traffic. Going on, we've been there for 14 years and it's been going on for 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> As a guy in the road construction industry, I have really worked, the, enjoy the workout on uh, Mount Carpet Road and I-70. There's a lot more to come. We've rebuilt a lot out there. All right, so this show is about our lives in rural Indiana. We're here to push your boundaries and make you think as individuals. Sometimes we'll provoke you. Other times we'll make you laugh. But hopefully, you will always learn something new. All right, you're, uh, you, we're going to double your pay if you get this right, Zach. Oh, that's exciting. Double and zero. So we're going to do our Patreon thank yous. If you guys know, we just had the Patreon portion. We kind of chat, talk about our lives a little bit. Um, and we get to, uh, if you contribute, help pay the bills, keep the air conditioning. It's nice and comfortable in here tonight. Rusty came in and said, man, it's cold in here. Yeah, like, it feels good right. in here. Yeah. Back in the, <laughs> back before, before you guys got the nicer thermostat, it was always pretty warm in here or cold. Somebody, somebody have to remember to stop in and turn the air down. Now we got the nest and it's, uh, it's nice. Yeah. So we got to thank all the people that contribute. And of course, if you contribute $50 or more a month, you get your name mentioned every episode. And so we got thanks to Chris Lamb, Christy Avery, 
Jonathan Phillips, and of course, all the way from Hawaii is Craig DaCosta. We also have the T-Chip stores, which is T-Chip, which is B-H-O-L, one, two, or three. Guffy's going to post those links in the chats for everybody to catch those. He should have been doing that last week when he wasn't here, but he had nothing better to do. And of course... Do, you, do, do we need to work through this? I know you've mentioned this five times since I've seen you, so let's... <laughs> Let's talk about the abuse you took, and maybe and maybe we'll just we'll just work this out right now. Yeah, well, if, if people don't know, I'm 37. I think a couple of weeks ago, Guffy said I was 45. I'm pretty then, sure you look 45. So Guffy said he couldn't make it last week. It was date night, so through the entire Patreon portion, I was just taking verbal abuse about how old I look. Hold on, was it verbal abuse? Because I was it typing. Was, well, it was written abuse. Typed, written abuse. Ah, I can hear, see your story's already changing. I think at this point he hears your voice when he, when you type. Well, then I saw you on Friday night and it turned into verbal abuse because you just kept going. <laughs> oh yeah, because then I saw you and your brother. Yes, he he's far better looking than you are. He's less stressed. He doesn't have children. Uh, definitely, I, I definitely not identical twins. Your yeah. brother, uh, he has like seven cats. That's a family. Yeah, well, none of his cats have destroyed his televisions. <laughs> like my child destroys my televisions, but. uh so, yeah, and we're also looking for advertisers. So if anybody's interested, I don't have any of the information, but if you contact uh, yeah, Jeremiah or Dakota, they'll give you some of the metrics. Hit up my uh, hit up my DMs and we'll work through. Yeah. Uh, we can work through something. Slide reasonable. into Jeremiah's DMs and he'll give you some information uh, that advertisers would be interested in and what kind of reach you can expect through the Boss Hog of Liberty. I was reminded today how easy I am if you hit me in the DMs because that's what my wife Sarah did, and apparently we started dating four years ago today. So, um I looked, I think, and you're in seven of my most recent ten conversations in Facebook Messenger. So, yeah, I don't hide. <laughs> yeah, I'm easy. I'm easy to be tracked down, and I'd also encourage you to uh, to make some more friends. <laughs> if I'm in seven, a combination of, of if different I'm in people seven in every of the one ten. of these conversations, like none of them are the same people. <laughs> oh shoot! All right, so the grand plan today, the the our idea for this uh, for this show is twofold. One. We didn't have a whole lot planned last week, and Pat hit me in the DMs and said, you know what you should do? You should do an RV industry episode, because we could have some fun with it. And I said, that is a great idea, Pat. Our next show is Tuesday. You're going to be here, and you're going to help me plan it. <laughs> and uh, and Dakota said, sure, whatever. I'm planning on canceling on you anyway. So I was like, oh, that'll work out, because then about 45 minutes before, Zach will say yes, and he knows camping, so this will be perfect. So, so Pat just came back, and we're going to talk about this towards the end of the program, but as a little teaser, Pat just came back from a grand road trip odyssey. Uh, he went out to South Dakota and Wyoming and, uh, and points in between. Uh, so he's in the, the Navy blue shirt TV, right? If you're watching on the big screen at home, which is the only way to watch this show or you're listening in your car starting July 1st, you're really not allowed to hold your phone. So I hope you're streaming it in the car now and not holding it up to your ear. Uh, and then on screen left, we do have Rusty and he is the industry indecider on, on RVs. The uh, the thing about the RV industry is that it's based here in Indiana, Rusty. It's it's huge in Indiana. It's it's not uh, it's not just dealers like you. Which, by the way, thank you for coming behind enemy lines because I know there's a lot of billboards <laughs> as you're coming into town here, and I don't know what kind of crap I'm going to get for introdu- for bringing you into Newcastle uh, from the from the locals. But I'm glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so what what can you tell me about about the RV industry in Indiana? You guys are you, you're you're a, uh, a retailer, correct, or a storefront, correct? Uh, brand new building, by the way. Yes. congratulations on that. Thank that you. opened up last fall or over the winter. That was uh, October, I think. October. Yeah. Um, so Mount Comfort RV is at Mount Comfort Road, just off I seventy. And where do the campers come from that you guys sell? Um, as far as where they're built, yeah. Um, I would say. 80, 90% Northern Indiana. 
Um, and that the, of the industry, we were about 90% right now. I think it's like 88% is the number of RVs uh, are sold in the U S or built in Northern Indiana. Um, so, I mean, that's, uh, I, I got, got some stats in front of me. It's a, in Indiana alone, the economic impact is $32.4 billion from the RV industry. $32 billion in that's Indiana alone. Yeah. So, it, it, so what's the, do you know what that is nationally? I got it right here. 114 billion. So it's a $114 billion industry and 32 billion of it happens in the state of Indiana. And that's, that's correct. That is probably the purchases that happen in Indiana plus the, the labor and the. Right. And it's taken, that's taken into account the main, all the manufacturers and suppliers is taken into account the RV dealers, um, the service facilities, which are a lot of them are dealers as well. It's taken into account the RV campgrounds and just travel in general, um, related to RVs. Man, that's everything, right? So it's, it's fuel, it's fuel that goes into them. It's the, it's the road taxes that come out of the, right. out, of, out of pulling. It, it's pulling going to be RV. all the revenue generated by the RV industry. Fantastic. So they're built in Northern Indiana. It's, uh, and I know that mine was mine. Mine's a Keystone product, which is, I guess they build them on the West coast in Oregon and then they build them in Indiana as well. Yeah. They typically, typically those plants on the West coast aren't really related to the East coast. It, it's kind of wild. Cause like we carry Salem, which is a, one of the top selling um, travel trailers in the country. And they have Salem's that are built in Northern Indiana. They have Salem's that are built on Oregon. And if you talk to the people at the Salem plant in Northern Indiana and you say, Oh, what are they doing out of Oregon? They're like, I don't even know who those people are. There's, there's like no connection. They're both owned by the same parent company, Forest River. Right. They're both called Salem, but there's no, like you would think they would talk to each other and they don't seem to. That's interesting. Is that just to decrease travel costs from here out? To I the think West so, Coast? especially when you're looking at, you know, uh, in our industry, I guess a lot of people don't realize, um, I mean, you guys do cause you own campers, but they don't realize how affordable RVing is. Um, it, it, it's a lot, it's going to save a lot of money over, over travel. The, the RV industry has done a, a number of studies that they look at, um, flying, which nobody wants to do right now. Um, they look at staying in hotels, which people are leery of now. They look at like eating out at restaurants and they look at all these different kinds of vacations and then they take the cost of the whole thing and then compare it to what would a, the cost be in a tent camper, like a pop-up or what would the cost be in a travel trailer? What would the cost be in a, you know, a class C motor home or a diesel pusher motor home? Um, and they're looking at all these different costs and what they find is that the RVing is like by far the, the most affordable way to go. So what we've, what we've seen and one of the reasons why, why this was an interesting episode when Pat pitched the idea to me was we're, we're obviously in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And as Rusty said, people are looking at different ways to vacation. A, a lot of your fly away. Hey, I want to go to Cancun for the summer. That's not happening this year. I can't go get on a cruise ship and take my week long cruise, but it is possible to get in an RV and go across the country or go camping. Oh yeah. And, and, and it's, it's crazy because like so many people, when they buy an RV, they don't necessarily have a destination in mind and you don't have to. I mean, I, I know talking to Pat, you know, I talk to Pat fairly frequently and it's like always like, I, or I watch his Facebook. He's like, Hey, I got off work early today. So I'm going to Illinois. Yeah. And it's like, did, he didn't have that planned. He just hooked up to his, tra- I mean, am I right? You yeah. just hook up your trailer and you go. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's when, we actually, that was before we got a seasonal site, but, um, which is a different, totally different way of camping now that we've done this for the first year. Um, because you know, before like say, if we're going to take a three day weekend, um, you got to take Friday off, 
you know, you're spending a, a good half of the day on Friday loading up, hitching up, getting food ready, all that stuff. By the time you get to your state park, you know, it an unhitched setup. It's like seven or eight o'clock in the evening. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, depending on where you're going. But you know, my wife pitched this idea to me last year. It's like, well, why don't we look into a seasonal site where we could just keep the trailer and then just throw a bag in the car with some food in the evening and get out there and not even have to take that Friday off. So we've done that. We've got a spot out in Park County right now. And um, out there with the bridges. Out there with the bridges. We're about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes uh, east of Bridgeton. If everybody knows where that's kind of one of the, that and Mansfield, we're just like three or four miles south of Mansfield. So those are like the two big communities for the Covered Bridge Festival. But um, we found a nice little park out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, it, it's, we, we frequently said, why haven't we been doing this for years? <laughs> so as we, then there's all kinds of different ways and different, I used to call them consumer profiles of people that buy these, but let's on the, let's look on the macro scale and then we'll, we'll start talking about the individual customers and the, what they do. Um, if we're talking about the manufacturers and they're based in Indiana, there was a tremendous fear in the industry of, Hey, these guys, 2007, 2008, when the, when the big recession happened, the RV industry was decimated. They were in serious trouble. Right. Uh, and as this recession, what we think was a recession started, the RV plants closed down in March and there was a, there were significant fear that we don't know what's going to happen to these, these jobs and these companies that are based in Indiana and what the future looks like. Yeah. And that, that was 90 days ago. Right. And that, and the, the thing about this time is it wasn't a lack of demand. So what we saw at our dealership, and I really think a lot of dealerships around the country saw is January. We, you know, a lot of the dealerships have the, you know, January is a slow season, unless you get into like Florida or Texas, then it's kind of flip flopped of here. Um, but what we saw, and I think a lot of dealerships saw is that January was one of the best Januaries. It actually, it was our best January we've ever had. February was our best February we ever had. March would have been our best March we ever had. So, I mean, it was. So even before coronavirus, things were busy. Things were picking up. This was, everything was increasing. Um, I, I think most of the manufacturers were getting these order, getting the orders for the RVs because the consumers were buying them. Um, so whereas before. When it, when we were actually truly in a recession, I think people were saying, um, you know what? I want to, I want to kind of keep my money because I, I, my stocks are going down. I had this big 401k and now it's not as big. And they were, they were getting nervous. And we saw a little bit of that with the Corona stuff. But the, the difference was is in 2008, 2009, there was a decline and you saw the decline and it kept going down. Whereas I think we had kind of a buildup here. And we were seeing it start to come up in January and in February. And then in March, it was, it was coming up in a really big way. And then it was, it was somewhere around the middle to third week of March there where we just start, everything got shut off. Right. The campgrounds got closed, which yeah. I, I know there was a lot of backlash yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, the state of Indiana. So we're, we have listeners all over the, all over the country in the state of Indiana. Zach and I actually camped together at Starve Hollow probably yeah. was it April 1st? I didn't even know when it was. Yeah, it was the, yeah, we saw the uh, end, we saw the incoming. We were there at the last weekend and we I camped I I had a feeling that this was happening as well. So Sarah and I had purchased a camper very late last fall. Uh, I think we got to take it out twice. So I'm like we're going to go early, especially when the coronavirus happened while well, the state parks were still open. I'm like we're going every weekend until they camp because I was like, I know how much money I'm paying for this damn thing and I don't know how it's going to be shut down. So the more nights I get in now that my cost per night is going to drop. Right. So we, we were like, all right. So we got like 
four weekends in. We got to that last weekend at Starve Hollow, and I had gone from it snowed the day we got back from Brown County in early March. It was seventy two degrees in April. Sunny. It was completely packed. Yeah, it was and people people were not exactly social distancing at that. Yeah, point. I remember. Yeah, we we had been out for four days. We actually been down to Charlestown, um, and it was that was a social distance like. It was perfection there. It was like every fourth spot. It was middle of the week. And then we met you guys at Starve Hollow for the weekend. And the lakefront spots were pretty much full. And there's a lot of people on the water. But then they had a full hookup area. that looked like a tailgate party for a college football game. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to work for us too well. And I think they shut down Monday or Tuesday after that. So Well, in the, that Saturday night or Sunday night, we saw the police just rolling through, just kind of taking note. Yeah. Unmarked police cars just kept coming through looking at us and going, man. Eh. This is not this is not typical for campground behavior seeing this happen. So I was like, ah, there's gonna be a problem. And then the governor of Indiana shut down all camping at that point for the uh for the year or for the for that period of time. Until Memorial Day weekend, essentially. Right. And I think yeah. it's to back to what I was saying, I think that's what that's the difference is that we saw this increase coming up and then it was really I mean, it's it the coronavirus is real, but as far as the economic situation, it was kind of an artificial thing. That as we're seeing this increase, it was like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna halt this now. I mean, like you to what you said earlier, all the plants shut down. Yep. Um, I, I would say the shortest shutdowns were four weeks, and we saw some plants as much as eight weeks. Um, I do think there was a few plants that had outbreaks in the plants where they had twenty or more people get it, which again, you know, they're they're shut down for that. And then now with the reopening, we have that pent up demand of two months of of sales that didn't happen or uh, got that delayed. didn't happen yeah. or the people and they're, they're saying wait i i want a camper and the problem is is for two months they weren't building campers and then they're already saying okay now we can start back up well to get a little bit political people oh, sure why not we do politics. That's what you do right that's, oh we, listen we, we do it Wait, without even trying, we get political. So you have our permission, Rusty. I, I don't know Jeremiah very well, but <laughs> I'm going to assume he's not a big fan of unemployment. Nope. I like to work. <laughs> in <laughs> fact, I haven't been employed, unemployed since I was 15. I'm not a fan of it at all. So, so what we're seeing in the industry right now, if I have, if I need a job, can I call you tomorrow? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, um, how do you feel about washing trailers? Man, I will do anything for a buck. <laughs> so, but, but here's what we're seeing in the industry. Actually, right Zach washed my trailer. Say, I'm, the, I, I'm the last one to wash this trailer. <laughs> so, so what we're seeing though is we're seeing that these people, you got, you got the plants are opening back up to a higher demand than they've ever seen before because you, because we have this market that everybody's wanting to camp now and we've got two months of, of people sitting at home saying, man, I wish I could do something. And all they're doing is thinking about this. And now, so now they're like, if they were on the fence before, now they're like, well, hey, I'm going to get out and do something. So they're ready to buy their RVs. So these manufacturers want to start back up. So they call the employees that were furloughed or laid off. And those guys are saying, hey, I'm, I'm getting like 900 bucks a week on unemployment. I'm not coming in there. Yeah. Wait, wait till my are unemployment's you, up and then I'll, then I'll give you a call. It's exactly yeah. what's happening. Yep. And um, so, so um, then the ones that they can't get back to work, they're trying to gradually ramp up production. Um, and, and the, the biggest thing is, is, well, all the manufacturers were shut down, all their vendors and suppliers were shut down as well. So there's two months worth of toilets and, and plumbing parts and roof vents and air conditioners, all this stuff that they weren't building. So everybody, you know, has gone to this just in time manufacturing, right? 
they can't get any parts. All of a sudden, all of the inputs that go into this thing, I can't, I can't build. And, it. and the cap- and, caper manufacturers are making the box. Almost everything else is being made somewhere else. Correct. Put there's together. So, there's Water thousands of components that go into each RV. Yeah. It's a lot like the auto, audio manufacturing deal where, you know, 40 years ago, GM made their own transmissions. GM made their own water pumps. They made all of these parts and they controlled everything. General Motors is a tiny company now in comparison to what they were. They don't own their own supply chain like they did. The RV industry is very similar where you have three or four key manufacturers for every product line. Correct. Well, and you have, um, Lippert is a huge company in the RV industry and they're, they're making awnings, chassis, brakes, um, air conditioners. I mean, they're making everything. And then you have, are they based in Indiana as well? They're based in Indiana as well. Yeah. Patrick Industries is one of the largest corporations in the RV industry. Um, they're publicly traded. Um, and they're, they're making all kinds of plastic products and, and different components to RVs as well. Um, and again, these guys were all shut down. So, so when you got two or three of these giant suppliers that were all shut down and these manufacturers opened back up, they got nowhere to get parts from. They couldn't build if they wanted to because they've lost their key manufacturers. And, and by the way, if you guys having campers have problems with your RVs, it's going to be really hard to get parts for them. I think if you even, I've read about people having issues and they literally had to go. I think a guy had a fridge, someone went on his fridge and they just went and had to yank one out of another camper that was on the lot. And try and throw it in there for them. And that, that, that's kind of where it's at right now because, like I said, there, there's no supply. They can't supply the people who are building them. They can't supply us either the with the side. aftermarket parts. So is your, just off the hand, is your service department screaming right now? Oh, with, yeah. With because, customers that want their, they have something going wrong and they want to get back out camping? Well, and that's the thing is we had um, these, peop- these people that normally would, would start thinking about camping in you know early March. And then, you know, then more people start in late March and more people start in April and more people start in April. All those guys are sitting at home. I mean, you guys got to go out, which was kind of cool, but most of these people are sitting at home. So then all of a sudden the campgrounds open up and then it's just like the phones are ringing off the hook. (laughs) And then not to mention, you know, we spend six to eight hours, every RV that we sell, we spend six to eight hours getting ready for the customer. Um, There's a lot of things that um, just like if you bought a house and you got to go through and do a punch out list and all that stuff and, and try to correct this stuff. That's what we do as well, um, on our RVs. And, um, so that takes a lot of time for our, our service department. So you sit here and say, Hey, we're selling like 50% more RVs than like our all time high. You're, so they got, so you're at the breaking point of so what they you guys get that do. already. Right. Exactly. And, um, uh, you guys have been in the RV industry enough as, as consumers to know that, um, there's not a lot of RV technicians out there. No. Um, and that's one of our struggles that we, we, we've been trying to train a lot from within to try to bring more into the industry. Um, we've worked with like local schools and that sort of thing. Um, we worked with Rupert's kids, yep. um, to try with, brought a couple guys through out of that program. Um, so you know, we're trying to help that way, but basically you got, like you said, we're at the, you're at a breaking point where it's like you, you don't have the people that you need to, to get the job done. Um, so, and, and it's, you know, we got guys working overtime and everything to try to make it happen, but then it comes back to supplier shortages, part shortages, manufacturer shortages. You only have so much bandwidth and throughput and there's always consumer demand can be at a certain point, but as a, as a company, you can only do so much to, yeah. to meet it. And there's, a, there's going to be a weakest link somewhere, Yeah, whether it's the supply chain, whether it's the number of RVs you have in inventory or if, if it's the service side and, and just the staff. Right. And well, that's, that's, that's our frustration when, when you see these unemployment numbers, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, first off, if, if I go to like, and they're not necessarily jobs people want, maybe they are jobs people want, but you go, you, you go down any road and everybody's hiring. Mm-hmm. 
And I, and I think it's people are staying at home. I, I don't know that. Um, but when we go to, um, Northern Indiana, I mean, these plants, they need people, production workers, like, like crazy, you know, we, we need people to, to work on RVs. Um, you know, I, I think, I think if you go to any RV dealership, I think they're all hiring right now. Um, and I think a lot of businesses are, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. Didn't Ivy tech have a program to basically train techs in the RV industry? We've tried. There's, there's a couple, um, RV specific programs, um, in Northern Indiana that they're trying to ramp up. Um, one of them is up at the RV hall of fame that they just got a big grant for. Um, but there's, there's not, there's not the vocational focus that I think that there could be, um, it, it was kind of wild. We, we went, we went through this back in, I guess it would have been 2010 coming out of that recession where we saw a, not nearly to the scale that we're seeing now, but we saw a big growth in the industry in general, not just our dealership, but in the industry in general. And, um, you know, looking for technicians, it, it seemed like you could find diesel mechanics everywhere because you had your Lincoln techs and those places doing their online, doing all the TV commercials. I'll be a diesel mechanic and all this stuff. And, and turns out there was way too many diesel mechanics and not enough jobs for him. And I'm like, man, I wish somebody had this, Hey, be an RV technician. And here's, you know, and started with these high school kids and right. um, got into the vocational schools and that sort of thing. I think there's a big opportunity there. So well, there's an opportunity starting out washing RVs, right? Oh yeah, that's for what, sure. What your dad and did, right? We, that's what he started, you know, 45 years ago now, but we have technicians that, that 20 years ago started out washing RVs and, and now they're making a good living as a technician. And so that is the, that is the entry level, right? So that's, that's the path. If somebody comes to work for you and they want to make a career more than just a, Hey, I'm going to work, you know, I'm going to work retailer. I'm going to have a assembly line workers job. The, the career path, if they come to work for Mount Comfort is they're going to come in and work through your service department and then, and then build a career from there. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of opportunities because you could, because there's so many different parts to an RV dealership. Um, you know, we have a guy that a huge part of his job is making goofy videos. Um, you know, we have, we have, um, people, got people that their main job is, is detailing RVs. We have RV technicians. We have warranty administrators. We have, uh, uh, parts personnel that, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's the salespeople that everybody always just thinks like, oh, well, there's like the sales guy and there's, there's so many different aspects of it. Right. And the last time I got mine, I didn't even talk to the sales guy the day of, I picked it up. I spoke to four different people in the process of picking it up. I spoke to the finance person first, inked the paperwork, and then spoke to somebody who did the, the walkthrough, talked to that guy for a while. It was like a 45 minute to an hour talking about putting labor in. He, I talked his ear off and then there's shocking. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a service guy who's giving, okay, this is, this, this is how you, you need to deal with the service department. This is how that's going to work. And so you're going through stations just to get the camper out the door, let alone just there's a, people in the background. I never saw, you know, the camper was washed and cleaned, And some, those are probably different people that I didn't even see handling that part of the stuff. So a lot of moving parts at the dealership for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Title work. Um, accounting is all the, all the different aspects, all the back end office stuff yeah. too, that, that businesses just have that it's implied, right? Somebody has to pay for them. You got an AP person, I assume that has to pay for, has to pay <laughs> yeah. for all the campers unless they, unless you have to do that yourself. Um, all right. So let's, let's talk about, that's the industry side. Let's talk about the people that are coming in and buying. You said that the folks are sitting at home and there's this built up demand and they want to go to the campground and they want to buy a camper. What are, I guess for those that are novices and that are listening, 
people see on the front line on, on I-70, they see the big diesel pusher motorhome that's 40 foot long and they think, man, I could never afford an RV, right? That's not, that's way outside of my budget and what's possible. But there's also ways to get into it where you could, you could have something for in the 100s or 200s a month. Yeah. And that's, and that's the big thing. I think that the biggest misconception is that, that people think of that 40 foot bus that's $500,000 and they're like, Oh, that's the RV. It's for the rock stars and that sort of thing. Um, and my first thing I told those people, I said, well, no, to the rock stars is about two and a half million dollars. <laughs> you okay. can afford so, that, but I got one you can have. Kid. So, so yeah, but so, so it is different, but, but no, what, to your point, um, yeah, like, uh, some of these, you know, lower price trailers that are, you, you can buy a trailer for under $15,000. And I, and I think that people don't realize that, that, that would be a new trailer with a warranty. And like, you're talking about $150 a month, which that's exactly where we, we bought two trailers off Rusty and, the one we're in now is uh, 2016. Our payment's 145 bucks a month, so very it, affordable. It, it, and it, it's not to say, man, that's that's cheap. It's not. But when you look at the kind of stuff that people spend money on otherwise, and one of the things we've been hearing a lot the last four or five years, everyone's like, oh, I'm going to cut the cord, and they got this cable bill that they're paying 200 dollars a month. I think my cable bill's right at 200 dollars a month. It's like you could you could cut the cable bill. Well, now Shannon Tom, the CEO of Henry County RMC, just joined in, and he sells uh, he sells internet. I'm pretty sure he could probably <laughs> hook you up <laughs> for way under that number. My cable team. bill is absolutely zero. He I don't even have an internet. An then. I don't even have an internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, that that but but no, we're seeing that though is that the people can buy these RVs and 150 dollars a month. Um, and, and what's what's crazy is that um we're seeing so many younger people. Um, you know, the, the old joke was, you know, 20, 20 plus years ago was like, who's your demographic? It's like, well, 55 to dead, you know I mean? That, and that was the thing. And, and yeah. at that, at that time, and I'm talking like late nineties, um, you had the average RVer probably RV'd for anywhere from 10 to 15 years. And that person probably bought three or four RVs over that course of that. And they, they might start out with a pop-up or start out with a trailer and then maybe they get a fifth wheel and then maybe they get a motorhome or, or whatever. Um, but now we're seeing so many people in that 30 to 40 year old age range come in. Um, and, and, and it's gotta be, it's gotta be half of the people that are coming in the door now. Yeah. And when we look at that, those people are going to go out, they're going to enjoy it. They're going to have fun. They'll say, man, I really like this. You know, hopefully these people are going to live for 40 plus years. I sure hope so. And and if they are, these people are not going to buy three RVs. These people are going to buy eight RVs, 10 RVs. So from that standpoint, the, there, the that's market's going to That's a very, that's a very valuable customer for you at that point. If you got right, somebody that potentially right. has eight more purchases, I'm right. So what... Uh, so the average 35-year-old comes in and says, hey, I want to buy a camper. What are they looking at? They're, are they looking at one of your Salems that you're talking about? Or what's the, yeah, what's, they, what's, the what's, what's commonly flying off the shelves? Yeah, so um, the, Salem's been one of the top three um, selling trailers in the industry for the last probably five or six years. Um, so obviously on our lot, I mean, we'll sell a couple hundred of them or more this year. Um, we would sell more than that if we could get them, but we can't get them quick enough. Um, Typically, um, probably I would say the fifteen to twenty five thousand dollar trailer is, is the bread and butter. It's a, it's a large part of our sales. Um, I had a stat here somewhere that eighty eight percent of RVs sold in the country are towables, right? Which um, is a travel trailer. Which is a travel trailer, fifth wheel pop up. 
um, 12% that is the motorized, which again, most people, when you say RV or motor or whatever you're saying, they're thinking of the big motor homes. So if somebody says RV, let's, we'll work on our terminology here because we're throwing it around. RV means recreational vehicle, which is a cl- the, the entire class of anything from a travel trailer to a pop-up, which is the looks flat, then they literally pop it up and right. expand the thing. It could be a fifth wheel, which is what connects into somebody's pickup truck bed. Correct. Uh, or it is the the thing you actually get in and drive where it's a, got the cab over the top or it's a big bus type situation. Right. All RVs. You guys sell them all. Yeah. Oh, we sell all of them. Yeah. Okay. So the most common is the thing that somebody pulls, some sort of a towable. Correct. All right. So somebody comes in and they says, Hey, I want to buy one. What, uh, what do they have to have to actually pull one? What can I, they, they roll in with their Newcastle town and country. Like Pat has <laughs> Mopar town here. They roll in with their town and country. What's the, what's the next step? You okay. Say, how- so, so they're pretty limited. If it's really a town and country, they're pretty limited, right? Yeah. Um, you know, minivans are going to be like probably 2000 pounds. To you say, start- check out small trailer enthusiast.com. Right. And that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I get a lot of emails to- from people saying, Hey, you know, I, I want this. I've got, you know, three kids, um, I want something with a full bathroom and, you know, I've got a, I've got a Jeep Renegade to tow it with. What can you, what can you <laughs> steer me towards? I'm like, well, but I think like Rusty's dad told me, or maybe you told me once, it's like, well, what color do you want it in? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that too, I, I'm sure Pat said as many times as I have, uh, you can't tow anything. Yeah. And even when you look at some of these small trailers, there's some stuff you just can't tow. Um, most of the trailers I'm talking about mainstream are going to weigh between 4,000 pounds, maybe 3,500 pounds and up to 8,500 pounds. Um, just as a, for example, um, most minivans are rated at like 2000 pounds. You're talking about a pop-up pretty much, yep. maybe a small teardrop. Um, but that's pretty much your limit. You, you always want to leave, um, uh, some, some margin for putting your gear in it. Cause you're gonna take stuff with you. Um, Grills, so, coolers, clothes, yeah, exactly. Food. And and if you're looking at a, a two thousand pound pop up trailer, you're probably going to put three four hundred pounds worth of stuff in it. If you're looking at a thirty eight foot eight thousand pound trailer, you might put fifteen hundred pounds worth of stuff in it. But you always want to leave yourself some sort of leeway there. So just because it says, "Hey, Mike, your whatever vehicle can tow two thousand pounds," doesn't mean you should buy a two thousand pound trailer. Um, and there, so, there are salesmen out there that will play on that. And there are dealerships that absolutely don't care. But yeah. never at Mount Comfort RV. <laughs> no, we're, we're pretty. <laughs> in fact, we go the other way. Yeah. And we've, we've had to have that conversation with people. We say, sir, your truck is rated 8,500 pounds. This trailer is 8,500 pounds. You're not, not going to do it. He's going to be like 10,5 probably. Or he could be 10,000 or 10,5 depending on how big the trailer is. Some of them, I usually tell people, look, and this is getting into numbers, but like, you're talking about how much trailer weighs. There's usually your unloaded vehicle weight. There's usually what the trailer is rated for to actually weigh loaded. And I'll be like, that's the number you need to look at because you'll be shocked how often you're at that number. And some people have to control going over that number, which might be 1500 pounds of stuff loaded in a trailer. I had a trailer that was 4,500 empty and I weighed it. And it was 6,000 pounds loaded for a trip to the track. Did you take the bricks out of it though? Uh, it was like two generators, and some extra water. It was like, you know, I was going to say, that's a lot of cases of Diet Coke. Yeah. Powerade. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a lot of people, you leave more stuff in there than you think. Like when you, when you go from the first trailer, you're like, oh, this isn't too bad. Then when you go from this first trailer to the second trailer, you have to unload 
the first trailer, all the stuff you accumulate, then you figure out like, cause they're kind of like, they're a Swiss army knife for going somewhere. Like you go somewhere and you're like, I went to fr- camping with some friends. They're all tent camping. I was the only one who brought a camper and I actually was like a vehicle meet. I didn't bring the vehicle that master Belsa's cause I brought the camper. So I was driving something else and they're like making fun of me until I had everything that they needed for the entire weekend. <laughs> until, camping. until you're the only guy that can open a bottle of wine. Yeah. They're like, uh, man, I need a spatula. I've got a spatula. I've got spoons. I got utensils. I had everything because I had a house with me that everything I needed to serve everybody. And so you end up with a lot of stuff in them. You know, I had somebody, this was years ago, but they, they gave a helpful tip for that. So they took like a sticker or a piece of tape or something and every item, like a folding chair or a table or whatever they put in there, they put a little piece of tape on it. Then when they used it, they took the piece of tape off. So at the end of the camping season, they looked through and said, well, hey, whatever still has a piece of tape on it, get rid of it. It's coming out. And that, I thought, yeah, that's not a bad idea. To, yeah. you know, not I, a bad I, way to do it. Somebody mentioned something to like for your front, front storage on a camper. Usually a large storage on the front of a camper. And that just ends up, that's your junk drawer. Yep. A lot of times there's just tools stuff for hitching up. And they said, put a bunch of stuff in a bin and then like two put two bins next to each other. When you use something, put it in the other bin and move it over. And at the end of the year, pull out the first bin. And if there's anything left in there, do you really need it? Because I mean, he, Jeremiah ran into a situation where he needed to hook up to a hose, but he didn't, it wasn't threaded. And so my brother <laughs> just boss, cause my brother has a camper too. Goss like the water bandit thing. We're like, well, we'll never use this, but here we go. It's in the toolbox now. Cause there's that, you know, that one time you might need it. I I think I, I'm 80% sure I'm going to need it this weekend at Star Hollow. I'm 80% sure because I know I know the campsite I have booked and there's water on the site uh, way inside the weeds. But there's only at Star Hollow State Park, or, or not Star Hollow, Clifty Falls, there are two bathrooms that have water on them. That's the only place you can get your water. A lot of campgrounds you go to, they're full hookups and they're luxurious. A lot of state parks are, are less than that. So you've got to use your onboard holding tanks. Uh, so you have to take your camper and drive to one of these sites where they can fill up the water. Well, they've got these little spigots and I don't know why the state of Indiana thinks this is the right thing to do, but they don't put threads on them. They're just, just a place to fill a bucket. Well, this little product that your brother found is called a a water bandit or something. Yeah. And that allows you to clamp onto that and put an actual hose on it and pull it over. There's one of those at the campsite I'm at, like within 15 feet of where I'm going to be. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have that at Watkins Glen. We looked around and saw, uh, New York State Parks, they do a great job of marking all of the locations they have water. They paint them blue. It's beautiful. Fantastic. <clears throat> so I looked at one, pulled into my campsite, pulled past the campsite, said, oh, there's one right next to me. I'm fine. Got backed in, set up, leveled or whatever, walked over to it. And there's nothing to thread onto. So that was that was a lesson learned. Always, always check that. Didn't uh, didn't know until now. I, I've been doing this going on 12, 11, 12 years now, and it's like I'm – Learn something new all the time. Every time. Yep. Every time you learn something. All right. So let's, let's talk about, I, I can tell as a guy that's camping and I've, I'm, I grew up doing this. My grandparents camped. My parents had campers. My wife and I finally bought our first one at the beginning of last year. So I've been actively responsible for my own campsites for about the last year and a half now. And last year unless it was a holiday weekend you could pretty much jump on the state's website and say hey i want to camp somewhere and i could find something for the the following weekend all of a sudden we've gotten to and i i think this is coronavirus related and probably an indicator as to why you guys are so busy right now rusty you get on the state's website and there are maybe one or two percent of the sites available to book everything's full every weekend now so the 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 demand of people wanting to go out and camp off the charts. 
Oh yeah, there's a huge shortage of campground sites right now. Um, we were seeing it last year too. I had a lot of friends that were out camping, and they're saying they were having difficulty booking last year. Um, but certainly now, um, I, there there are some big um, campground groups, I guess, forming um, that are trying to open new campgrounds and form um, camping clubs, I guess, um, where where you can buy a membership that maybe would get allow you access to eight campgrounds or 10 campgrounds. They're kind of a regional thing. So I know there's some more of those coming up, uh, but no, there's definitely um, a shortage of state parks. I know the infrastructure is not really the best either, right? It depends. It's, it's all, and I think I, I've learned this and there's a lot of different interpretations as to what camping means to people. Right. Yeah. Right. So you could go and you say, Hey, I want to be able to go out for the weekend. And as long as I have, I'm out there for two or three days, as long as I have electricity, I'm fine, right? You can fill your onboard water tanks and you've got, you get electricity from a pole and you've got tanks on board and you dump them at the end and you're good to go. There's other folks that say, I'm not doing anything less than having a full hookup site, which means I've got water, I've got electric, I've got sewer so I can get rid of anything. Any of my shower water doesn't have to stay in the camper. It goes away. And there's very, there's a very limited number of those. So the amenities are what you expect. If you want Wi-Fi or something else, there's, you're, right. you're if you're a social list. influencer like Pat and you got to you got to take those Instagram shots and and get the get get your good side, right? Yeah. Still waiting. Um you got to have that Wi-Fi access. Yeah. And it, I I think there's a lot of campgrounds still are are behind the eight ball on that. Yeah. And then and then it's also a matter of there's there's different styles. So there are there are folks that are weekenders and they go to a place and they want to be in the woods and they want it to feel like they are out in the wilderness. And then there's other places like Pat where you have potted plants at your campsite well <laughs> seasonal rv life is a little different than the weekend warrior thing so you we're, we're your, learning you get your herbie fully uh yes. fully pimped out uh golf cart yep you've got uh, it, it's a it's a whole society i assume in, the, yeah, in that, it, in that you know, campground like, you know it's first world problems yeah he's got a deck you, you've got a yeah, deck i bought a deck um from somebody at this park who was leaving at the end of last year and the manager said, yeah, there's a guy selling this, I don't know, we measure, it's like in four sections. I think it's about eight, eight wide by about 17 feet long. And, um, yeah, it's a few years old. It's got a few sections I could probably use to be replaced, but I'm selling it for 75 bucks. Ooh. Yeah. And I was talking to the guy next door who just built his deck. I think it was last spring and he spent like 700 bucks on his, you know, he cut it himself and everything. So I'm like, Sounds like a pretty good deal. So they hauled it over for us um, at the beginning of the season and um, power washed it, sealed it. Looks good as new. So, so you're good to go. So the, the, yeah. there's everything in between, basically. there's yeah. You can have somebody come in and you can go to a campground that it, there's, there's all different kinds of ways to look at RVing, I guess, is the, oh, point, yeah. is the point I have. Is there are people that want to go out for a weekend and then there's people that say, I'm going to take a road trip and I want to bring my hotel. So I want to have... I want to be able to go to, and we're going to do this for intern Mason's bachelor party, not bachelor party. Yeah, that would be letting something slip. He needs a girlfriend first. Intern Mason's <laughs> turning 21 uh, in the end of July. We're going to go to Nashville, Tennessee for two days. Really expensive to get an Airbnb for five or six people in Nashville. Hmm. But you can get a campground for 60, 70 bucks a night. Oh, yeah. So you can go down, stay in a campground that has that full hookup that we're talking about. It's not in the woods. It's not out. You know, you're not you're not getting a big giant campground, but you've got a place where you can put your camper down. You've got your utilities, and you're good to go. Yep. Um, and it's a way to bring your hotel room with you. So there's all kinds of different ways that you can actually look at camping and 
and still be doing it. But it's, it, that's what I was trying to ask earlier is the, the, the profile of who, who your customers are They're I assume they're all over the map as it, to what it, their goals it's, are. It's all over the map. And, um, with the, we were already seeing, um, over the last six months, that younger crowd coming in, but now we're seeing people with new purpose in their RV. So like, one of the things that's really picked up in the industry over the last probably year or so is the what we call B vans. So essentially what that would be is it would be a, a van that the whole inside of it is converted into an RV. It uses the actual van exterior. So if you saw it driving by, the way the only way you would be able to distinguish it from just like a, a, a passenger van is you might see the air conditioner on the roof. You might see an awning on the side of it. But then when you go inside of it, it's going to have maybe a bathroom. It'll have a, a kitchen, a sink, and just all the, all the refrigerator, all the amenities you'd have in, in a other, in another RV, just in a small package. Um, but we're seeing, we're seeing so many people looking for those. And I really think it's because of the change in the whole travel climate right now with what's going on, um, in the world. You, you get people who are buying these things now that, you know, you say, these will probably start this ballpark around $70,000, which is like the class B, the, the, yeah. the B vans. Yeah. Which is, a, which is a whole lot of money unless you compare it to like a Cadillac Escalade. That's like $110,000. Right. Right. And you see Cadillac Escalades all over the place or like a, um, well, it, 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 let's be honest. If you're buying a class B, it's probably on a Mercedes Benz chassis anyway. Right. So, so, so yeah. So, well, and so, yeah. Here, so here's the thing. So, um, they, they have Dodge Ram Promaster. Um, which is going to be this like $70,000 range. Um, they're going to have the um, Ford now has the transit chassis. That's going to be like probably 90000 to to $100,000 depending. Um, and, then, and then usually you're going to be over a hundred for the Mercedes. If you get really crazy and want to Airstream, you might be close to 200. Yeah. Um, but but leg- realistically, 100 to 130 on the Mercedes chassis, which again, you're in the same ballpark as a Cadillac Escalade, um, except for you can finance these things for like 20 years. So that Cadillac Escalade payment that might be, you know, a thirteen hundred dollars a month, yeah, or two thousand dollars a month or whatever, yeah, you know, maybe you're eight or nine hundred a month, okay. So it, it is more affordable from that standpoint. But what what I was getting at is, um, the people that are buying those now are not necessarily the people that say, "Hey, I," you know, there there are the van life people. They're like, "Man, hey, I just want to travel and just be in my van and." Just go out and, you know, me and my wife and my dog or whatever and, and go see the sites. But what we're seeing now with, with everything that's going on is we're seeing the people who say, Hey, you know what? I live in Indiana. I have family in Alabama. I have family in, um, Georgia. I have family on the East coast. And these people might have flown three or four times a year to go visit them. And now they're saying, I don't want to mess. I don't want to do the planes. I don't want to do the germs. I don't want to do the security checkpoints. You know, I don't, I don't want that. They want the freedom. They're saying, I'm going to buy a van and we're going to drive. And if I need to pull over and sleep, I can do that. If I want to bring lunch with me and, and not have to go get somebody else's germs, I can bring that with, you know, bring lunch with me. So, so our friend Shannon Tom is, uh, is in the chat and he wants to know if, if he went out and bought a class B, what kind of depreciation is he looking at? He, he does that. He keeps it for a couple of seasons. That $100,000 class B, what's it going to be worth if he uses it for two years and then he decides, all right, I'm done. So, so it's, it's, the depreciation thing is pretty unique in the RV industry. Um, you know, they always talk about like the boat industry, like you lose like half your money, like the first year, right? Um, the RV industry is really, really unique because, um, 
of a couple of different factors. Number one, the more expensive it is, you're probably going to see faster depreciation. So if you're going to buy a $500,000 motorhome, it's probably going to depreciate a lot faster than if you're going to buy a $15,000 trailer. And the, the main reason is, is, is when these things depreciate, there's always kind of like a bottom level, right? And right, right now in our industry, if you have a nice trailer, whether it's 10 years old or 20 years old, the biggest factor is what kind of condition is it in? And that trailer might be worth $10,000. Now, if you bought that trailer 10 years ago, you might not have paid much more than $10,000 for it. Right. Um, and so, so, so when you're looking at stuff like that, the, there's not a lot of depreciation. The other thing about these B vans in particular is there's not a lot of them out there. And we, we get so many customers coming into us and say, Hey, I want, I want a late model B van. I don't want to take the depreciation on it. Right. So everybody's looking for that year old, two year old van. They get like, well, man, if, you know, if these are 70,000 new, maybe I can get it for like 50,000. And, and it, it sounds really appealing. But what we talked about earlier is these people that are buying these vans, they're keeping them for like five, six, seven years. So the chances of somebody having one that's like they kept for a year or two and then now they're selling it or trading it in or whatever are really slim. It's not like a car where you cycle through them every year or two and you're switching. They Generally, you're finding that they're longer term ownership. Yeah. And those are those are seem like, like you said, they're like an odd, they're not a super popular thing. So probably the people that buy them that's what they want they've thought about this this is a planned out thing as opposed to like a, it's not usually like a knee-jerk reaction like they're not usually those aren't starter campers you don't buy that as like oh this is my intro to motorhome because they're they are small the interiors are i mean we went and we go to rv shows look through them and you compare it to an Esca, you walk inside some of them and you're like wow like the interiors are amazing. They're like a yacht. And yeah. it's, it's incredible how they fit everything in there and how compact everything is. And they have nice, and if you want it, nice leather interior, nice like butcher block countertops and things. So yeah, I would think that yeah, the people that want them, cause those are real popular right now is the people that want them want them and they're going to use them and they're going to love them because that's what they're intended to use for. I don't, I can see, I, don't, I bet not a lot of them want to dump them off and go get a fifth wheel, which probably to them is more hassle than they've been dealing with. Cause they like to park, those B vans, you can park them in a lot more places than you can get like a big right. fifth wheel or a towable rig into. What I think the thing is too with those, with going back to the depreciation thing, is there's so few of them. Like I said, especially if somebody's looking for one one or two years old, there's so few on the market that that drives the price up. So it's almost the price of a new one. Um, the other thing is, is when you're looking at most people would finance them. When you're looking at financing, you'll typically get better terms whether it's longer terms or better rates on a new one that's under warranty than you would on maybe a three-year-old one that's not under warranty. So when you look at it from that standpoint, you might be better off to buy a new one um, because the the payment wise might be pretty close. So the other side of the conversation, we're we're talking about the class B where that obviously you don't need to have a tow vehicle in there. Uh, Ryan Bacon is in the, in the chat and he wants to know why RV dealers don't sell tow vehicles as well or as often. You're not a new car dealer necessarily, but I suppose you would potentially at times have, have vehicles as well. We do. Units. We do usually, usually used, um, usually pickup trucks. Uh, a lot of times we'll get the person, like I said, there can be a natural progression where the person buys a trailer, then they buy a fifth wheel, then they buy a motorhome. And we'll get that person that has the truck and fifth wheel together or the truck and trailer together and say, Hey, I want a motorhome, but I have no use for the truck if I'm getting a motorhome because all I use it for is to pull my trailer. Right. Um, so we'll have that then. Um, typically we'll, we, sometimes we'll package them up like that and sell them. Um, a lot of times we might just sell them to a local car dealer who gets a lot more people looking for that type of vehicle. 
So one of the other, I, I talked to our friend John Phillips, who's the uh, the sales manager at Andy Moore, Buick, GMC, and Fishers, and he was telling me about the low availability of pickup trucks right now as well. So I think not only on the on the RV side, you, you know, you buy a travel trailer, you also you're not going to pull it with that town and country, so you need to go buy a truck. Uh, and I had some data that I put in the show notes that you guys, if you're a Patreon member, you can you can jump in there and you get the show notes every week from us. Um, they went from at the beginning of March, there was about a hundred. If you look at a GMC, a Sierra, or a Chevy Silverado, there was over a hundred day supply in the market of new new Chevy trucks or new GMC trucks. When you look at the 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 May data, it sounded like a sixty day supply. So all of a sudden, all of these same problem that happened with the RV industry happened with the truck industry as well. And the tow vehicles are gone, right? So it's a really good time to sell a truck if you've got one, Zach, or your your, your big SUV or whatever you have. I've got a 2017 Toyota Tacoma TRD <laughs> off road with a with the tow package. Oh yeah, but that can only <laughs> tow like 3,100 pounds. You're not gonna, the, the, uh, maybe it's rated for like six two. I think <laughs> it, it's also a vicious circle of people that uh, buy a truck, get a camper, they want a bigger camper, need a bigger truck. Trucks now got more capacity than they have camper, another camper. And you'll see people that are literally just a leapfrogging like that. Go back and forth. I, back and forth. I'm a, I'm Mr. Mr. Small example. Trailer over here. Pat, Pat's done that it. That happened, right. yeah. Here comes, here comes Pat's confession story. I'm going to step away <laughs> to the, to the, for a moment, but I'll let you explain um, the, how this happened, Pat. How did, how did it get away from you? Well, we had another grandkid, and we had a little 15-foot <laughs> Sarah Scotty. And um, it was good for my wife and grandson number one. And then, well, grandson number two is coming on the way. We're down at uh, Brown County camping, and we're talking. It's like, you know, when this next one comes, I don't think we're going to be able to do it in this thing. So it was like that next week or maybe the next day, I'm not sure, we went out to Mount Comfort and um, just started looking at some bunkhouse models. And next thing you know, we're selling our Scotty, and we're putting an order in on a 29-foot Shasta. (laughs) And, um, so I had a, uh, 2003 Toyota Sequoia to, to haul it with on paper. It was, it had enough cause the trailer weighed like 4,400 pounds. I think the Sequoia's rated at like 6,000 something. So we, we, we had enough buffer yeah. there. First time we took it out to the Dayton KOA going out here on 70. It was an adventure that I did not want to do ever again because it, I learned then that just because a tow vehicle has the capacity to haul it, wheelbase comes into play. Yeah. And I think the Sequoia was like a 119-inch wheelbase. And you've got a 29-foot trailer. That is not a good combination because it's basically that whole trip from Indianapolis out to Dayton was dog wagging the tail. Yeah. All right. Tail wagging the, the dog. dog. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. And, um, it depends on how you get your merge wicks. Well, that's true. <laughs> and, um, so we got there and I'm like, man, I do not want to do this because it, it was to the point where a semi, when I could see a semi coming, I would feel it before I would actually see it. Grip, grip the wheel. Yeah. A little tighter. And it, it got to the point on, on several occasions where, you know, with, with the wind coming off the truck plus the actual wind happening, it was like I had to let completely off the gas and just kind of edge my way over to the to the emergency lane so that way he could get by quicker. And um, I knew then it's like, all right, we got to do something. Well, it's here. manageable. They've got like 
hitches and things that arrange up. But yeah, if you if you're not familiar that, with that it, that didn't even yeah. Help. If you're not yeah. familiar with it, when a semi is passing you, which happens frequently, um, the first thing you feel <laughs> if is you're the, doing the appropriate speed. Yeah, the, yeah. If you're doing the, the appropriate speed, you shouldn't be passing too many semis that'll be passing you. The first thing you feel is the back end of your trailer try to go away from you yep. to the right. And then as a semi gets up next, that push moves its way up the entire rig. But as it pulls next to the trailer and you have two trailers next to each other, then you get a low pressure. It and so now the trailer comes yeah. the other way yeah. as your truck normally is being pushed in a way. And you're like, this is too much for me to manage mentally right now. Right. And you're doing this all at 60 to 65 miles an hour. Yeah. Hopefully like say if you're maintaining pretty good speed. So, so it was, so we, we then had a decision to make and, we ended up and you get, really liked the camper at that point. Yeah. It was the new thing. Right. So we ended up getting a um three quarter ton Sierra that we got up at Penske Chevy. And um well it, it I, if you I, buy a new Penske Chevy now I hear it comes with two trick two tickets in turn four. <laughs> I don't need those. Um <laughs> so Pat lives in turn four. <laughs> I know. Almost, yeah. Pat in turn four. Um so we ended up getting the Sierra. We had it for most of that summer. We took it on a big road trip out to uh, Texas, went cruising at Route 66 with it. And it was a great truck. I mean, the, the first time I hitched that thing up after we bought it, put on my weight distribution, hitch everything. I took it around 465. I'm like, man, I don't even, I can't even, I don't even know the saints behind me. It was great. Loved it. But you know, that payment got to be, eh, so we're like, all right, time for a new decision. Re, you know, rethink the game plan. And then, um, ended up getting a, uh, 2005, uh, Yukon XL. So, which is that suburban, basically GMC's version of a suburban, yeah. the long, yeah. the long, yeah, the long it's a longer SUV. version, uh, as opposed to like your Tahoe. Right. And, um, so I hooked it up to that. It still get kind of gave me that wiggle that I wasn't really comfortable with. Um, so I'm like, all right, what are we going to do now? Well, Mount Comfort had this essentially the same Shasta Oasis, but in a 22 foot model. That was a bunkhouse. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, we're going to, we're going to eat a lot on this because I think we had that trailer not even a year. And, uh, so we, we went back out and made the deal and, um, they gave us a really good deal. We didn't have to really. Does this, does this happen a lot, Rusty, where somebody comes in and they've got something's changed and they now they need you to make an adjustment? Yeah, it's usually the other direction, though. Um, it's usually the person buys something too small. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what I've heard a, a number of our salespeople say it, where somebody's on the fence and they're like, well, do I want something smaller? Do I want something bigger? They're like, Pat's case is a little different, but they're like, it's never too small. You know, I mean, it's never too big. I'm right, sorry. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's. Most of the times it's the other way around. There is a sweet spot though, right? Like you, you get to a certain point in the length of these things and all of a sudden it becomes, man, I can't find anywhere to go with a 38 foot camper. Yeah. Or I can't get to the campsites I want to go to. Right. Or, and there, well, and there's a lot of misconceptions on that too. Cause you always hear the, uh, Pat was just out West, so he can probably give some insight into it, but you always hear the people say, Oh, it's not, not legal to take a something over 30 feet into the national parks. It's like, guys, the national parks are like entire states. Yeah. Right. You, you, there's, there's no like, you can't take a, a 35 footer into a national park, but 
a lot of we talked about like uh, older campgrounds and infrastructure and things they're, like that. They're not designed for large. There, right. there are a lot of campgrounds that happen to be inside of national parks that were designed 40, 50, 60 years ago. And back then, if it was 30 feet long, it was massive. I mean, that was like the biggest thing and, on the road. There's a campground in uh, Kentucky that I don't think can handle anything bigger than like 25 feet, which is most campers now like yeah, just 20, about everything like, oh, like, yes yeah, yeah, because the, the real wheelhouse is now is like, is like 27 to about 32 feet and then it gets you'll see a lot of 35 footers but yeah that's, that's smaller to get under that and i was like that's a whole park and they can't handle anything bigger than that and i was like and i just bought a camper that's too big for that park <laughs> <laughs> i was looking yeah, for a spot to go so true because i know I've, I've worked a few shows for like rusty and then another dealer in, in indianapolis and um I, you know, I'll be hanging around stuff that's 20, 25 feet long and people will walk in, put their head and not even get in it. Just put their head and look around too small. <laughs> well, and you guys will probably appreciate this. There was new um, news came out this week from the uh, Recreational Vehicle Industry Association. You're going to have a standard measurement, aren't you? Exactly. And that and that's the that's the been the big issue is you go as a consumer, you go to an RV show. And you're looking around at all these trailers and you look at this one trailer and it's a 24 something or other. You go to this other trailer, it's a 26 something or other. And then you go see another trailer, it's a 23 something or that's, other. That's supposed to mean, in theory, that's the length of you, the, you the would, model, you right? Would, you would think that would make sense, right? But then you like look at the brochure and all three of these trailers are 29 feet long. Yeah. Every single one of them. So, so to what Jeremiah was saying is RVIA, who is kind of the, there's not really any, um, government interference or anything there, but it's like a trade group for it, the industry. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of the closest thing to a governing body. Um, they kind of certify, I would say probably 90 off the top of my head, probably 90% or more of the RVs that are built in the industry. They have certain specifications that they agree on of, you know, the, the plumbing has to hold up certain water pressure and things like that. But the one thing that they just came out with it earlier, this was the end of last week, um, was that they're going to require now, um, sometime within the next year, they're going to require to actual put put the actual length on the outside of the camper. Um, now they might still have weird model numbers, but somewhere on that camper, you should be able to find a sticker that'll um, say it's this long. Or twenty seven foot camper is thirty one feet long. Yeah, and, and I think that number. What I, what I've seen generally is that number that's shown on there, like say like on my case, eighteen bh. God, you little guy, right? <laughs> Um, Small trailer enthusiast. <laughs> I, I've always kind of referred to that number as being kind of the box length. And, Which is usually close. Yeah. And then, because, you know, if you see that number and then you add, say, three to four feet, that's going to give you roughly what your hitch to tail total length is. So. The lovely Sarah Moral just, Moral just walked in. And I when we were looking at ours last year, I was trying to convince her that if we got what's called a Murphy bed, which is a bed that folds down and turns your living room into a living <laughs> yes, your living room into the bedroom, I could have saved. I could have been in that class, and I could have saved yeah. six or eight feet of camper. And I tell you, but, I, uh, I but never, we, couldn't, we couldn't come to that arrangement. I, I was never really a big fan of the Murphy bed, but the more I see them, because they're almost in anything you want now. Yeah, we saw the, the Murphy beds, we saw those come out probably – three or four years ago. And we, we looked at it. We're like, man, this is the greatest idea because you can take like a 25, 26 foot trailer and put it in like an 18 foot box. Yeah. And so we're like, here's my problem. With the <laughs> hey, my wife's here. <laughs> Defending yourself. So I believe that whenever, whenever it's time for us to go to bed, when we're camping, it's time to go to bed. I do not want to have to pull my bed down, make the bed, <laughs> 
fold it back up in the morning because I just want to get up and kind of get my day started. So that was my thought there. And then also, if we ever welcome, you know, a little moral or two into the world, well, there's not going to be any fun time while we're camping. So that's so that's why we have a 27 (laughs) foot camper. With a bunkhouse. I don't know. I think people in pop-ups do okay. So, yeah. but but so what, what we found though is three or four years ago when we thought this was a really cool idea, people were just like that. They couldn't yep. get on board. They, they didn't see. They're like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Right. I'm kind of surprised the number of people that are really particular about having, and this is something you kind of give up with the camper most of the time, a little bit of privacy in that people want, I mean, people that specifically say my children have to be in a different room. Like they have to be able to close the door on their kids yeah. or they want to be able to close the door on their right. bedroom. So it's got to be over 30 and, feet long. And yeah, yeah. And then at that point, yeah, you're 30 feet and you're probably more like 32 to 35 if you really want both of those together. But yeah. Like your Murphy beds were like, that's an interesting idea. But yeah, I don't think I didn't even try with my wife on that one. Well, <laughs> so, so, so two, three years ago, you know, I said four, five, four years ago or so we saw these and we thought they were a cool idea and nobody was into it. So two, three years ago, we pretty much had given up. Um, our dealership anyway. And um, Salem was one of the manufacturers that came out and introduced like a lot lower price one. Um, they have like an FSX line and a um, what's called their cruise light, which are, which are a little bit lower priced than their standard Salem's. And um, they just took off um, to the point where when we came, we, we had the January RV show and then the February boat sport and travel show. And like, it was like person after person is walking into our display saying, I want to see your trailers that have the Murphy beds. I mean, asking for them by name, whereas three or four years ago, we're saying, hey, let me show you the trailer with the Murphy bed. They're like, what are you talking about? What's a Murphy bed? I don't know. What does that mean? They've also gotten better, so that, as I can see it. The, the the design has gotten better. The mechanisms yeah. are So that they, they're quicker. They fold down instantaneously. It's not you're not folding, unfolding a three-part mattress. It doesn't feel like you're sleeping on a pullout. It's a... It's a real mattress that comes out of the wall at that point. Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, is, um, let's face it. Most RV mattresses are not very comfortable. They're either going to be like really springy. That's just going to hurt your back or they're going to be like a hard foam. Um, what I always recommend to people is you can typically get like a, a memory foam mattress topper, which is what we've done. We've for, got a two for, They're usually, ours. they're usually yeah. less than a hundred bucks. Yep. And when you throw that on top of that hard foam, it gives you a pretty good pretty good yeah. feel and, and you'll find too in the winter time it's a lot more firm as well we took our uh, <laughs> yeah it's a all of a sudden it's from a liquid to a solid right, right? <laughs> uh we took ours we basically took the mattress out i extended it it was a queen uh zach and i have very similar campers but his there it's like gmc and chevrolet the manufacturer that makes ours mine's a bullet and his is a passport both made by keystone but his camper is designed with a, a full queen bed i believe yeah. And mine's got a short. You've queen. got the RV queen. I've got the short queen. Yeah. I did. I c- took the piece of plywood out, extended it, gave up the little extra walk around space we have. Yeah, because the there's like a six inch. I think it's a RV queen's what sixty by seventy four, typically, and then a full queen is like sixty by eighty. Yeah, I'm like because that. I'm I'm blessed with height and girth, but blessed with height. <laughs> I I had to, I went ahead and ordered the I, we ordered one on Amazon and spent a couple <clears> hundred bucks and got an inner spring mattress and. Uh, massive improvement. I think it, uh, Sarah's shaking her head. Yes. It's a whole lot more comfortable. You, you need extra length because you ever slept in most front bedroom campers. The bed, usually the wall slopes above you. Yeah. yeah. So you can get that full 80 inches if your head's like touching the wall above your head. So yeah, every, every little bit of bed space you can get helps. Yeah. yeah. That is the one complaint I have with ours is that it, after we did, and we're going to, this is a good transition into these, uh, these longer road trips and things that we, 
that you can do with these and the opportunities it has for a vacation. Sarah and I spent 10 nights in a row in ours. And I was like, man, I, I, the reason we got ours is because we have a lighter tow vehicle and, you know, 7,500 pounds, 7,000 pounds total all in weight is what we need to be towing. So an ultralight camper is what worked for us. But one of those bedrooms that had, had a slide out and maybe some extra drawer space and some extra getting, getting ready space in the bedroom would be real nice. Yeah. And, and that's actually one of the cool things I, I keep mentioning Salem because it's, it's our number one seller, but yep. um, about three years ago, they did something that is the simplest idea and it changed like the world of RV floor plans. They changed the front profile of their camper. And if you know, and, and it's weird because a lot of them, it, it, we always joke in the RV industry that it's, it's R and D is research and duplicate <laughs> that, that, that basically you go online and you look at what all the other manufacturers yep. are doing, whatever they're doing well, you just copy it. Um, there, you know, you can't like patent a floor plan and stuff like that. So if you see one manufacturer has a floor plan that people really like, then everyone Everybody's else copies have it, it in a year or two. But so one of the things that Salem did is they made the front, um, you, you talked about it was sloped in the front. Yeah. They took that slope and they moved it further forward so that it goes kind of out above where the batteries, there's typically like an A-frame on the front and the battery sits on there and you got your, your um, propane tanks in front of that. But normally the front of a camper is pretty abrupt or it has some sort of like weird slope that doesn't make any sense. It's like, like an egg shape of like, some sort. Well, and front. some of them even like slope at the top, which is weird versus slope at the like curve at the bottom, if, if that makes any sense. Um, but what Salem was able to do is move that forward. And in the same length of trailer from actually when I'm talking measuring from the, the hitch in the, in the front to the bumper in the back, they gained like six inches. Hmm. So every back, every bedroom where you had, where they had a wall and that mattress is touching the wall. Yep. Now they have six inches there. Everyone where they had like six inches there where you could kind of stand and get dressed. Now they have a foot so you can actually stand and get dressed. Um, so, so that was kind of a cool little innovation that, like I said, I'm, I'm surprised a lot of people haven't picked up on, but where they were able to not really increase the price of the camper or not lengthen it or do anything like that, but just change that profile to kind of fit what like you guys were talking about. So before we get into the, into the road trips and the stuff you can do with these, uh, I, somebody asked about leasing and I want to mention rentals as well, or I know in the auto world, you can lease a vehicle. Is, is leasing a camper something that happens not, very much? Not really. And and we've kind of talked about, would it, would it make sense to set up a program like that? And we, we can't, we haven't really had a, a good enough business plan, I guess, to, to make that feasible. Um, we do rent campers. Um, it's typically uh, a little bit, it's, it's, it's cheaper to own one, I guess, than rent one. And I, I think we, we had a, a customer a few years ago that, um, kind of looked at a, where, where's the, where's the break even point? Um, how many you know, nights a year I have to have, how many nights a year do I have to use it to make it make more sense to buy versus to yeah. rent? Cause we do have that perpetual renter that, you know, rents two, three times every single year and has for 10 years. Somebody like Zach that says, Hey, I'm going to go to the Indy 500 and I'm going to go to the mid Ohio Indy car race. So I need a camper two I, to three weeks. I a had, year. we had neighbors. Uh, they're at 500. They go to every race at IMS and they rented a motorhome for every race at IMS and they would drive up and they would park and they'd throw their chair with their parking tag and they disappear for a couple hours and then it would come back Esther. And I can't remember her husband's name and they would go get their motorhome and come back. And I was like, you guys need to buy a camper. It'd be cheaper to even for the couple times a year that yeah, it gets 
it's expensive to rent them, but yeah, if you don't want to own it and you don't have to worry about the maintenance on them, but. So what you, what's the number? What, what they decide is how many weekends do you, do you need to use it to, to be worth it? I, I, I don't know off. I, I wish I did, but it, it, so, so a trailer, the trailer rentals are going to go probably, if you got the truck and the capabilities, there, the trailer rentals are going to go for like probably 70 to a hundred bucks a night. Um, class C motor home, which is going to be the, the van front with the, um, cab over sleeping and a, I mean, some of these are pretty, pretty fancy, you know, t- multiple slide outs and bunk beds and all this stuff. You know, those are typically going to be around $200 a night. And then your class A motor homes, which are the bus style, multiple slide outs and all that, they're going to be around $300 a night. So, so it'd be like a hotel pricing, except for you can, you can save the money by taking your food with you and, you know, kind of be in your own space rather than. And the vacation starts when you leave the driveway, right? So if you, you could start in your driveway, yeah. I mean, a lot of these people camp out in their driveway the night before. They'll load everything the night before. Say, hey, let's just you know we're not leaving till the morning, but let's hang out here I, anyway. I know initially during the the Corona shutdown, there were a whole bunch of people. They had property where they could. I I can't open my camper up where it sits at my house, but there were people that were driveway camping and having a great time just because it was a change of scenery, just to go out and hang out in the camper, or that was their home office for some people. So yeah, you don't have to go anywhere. You just enjoy them in your driveway. We had had a financial advisor call us and say, "Hey, um, you guys rent RVs, right?" And we said, "Well, yeah, we rent RVs." He said, "Hey, um, yeah, I've been at home for like a month working from home." He goes, "Everything I do is online and on the phone." He goes, "Can I rent an RV next week?" And we're like, "Well, yeah, we you know we got one available." And he goes, "Well, let me ch- let me check with some people." He goes, I'll, "I'll call you back tomorrow." And he calls me back the next day and says, "Hey, can we rent three RVs next week?" And I said, what's going on? And he goes, well, I got two friends that are working at home too. And we figure all our families are sitting at home cooped up and can't do anything. You know, we could go to like a beach somewhere and just sit in an RV on the beach and we could do our work from the beach and yep. our families can have fun. And um, so I, I think that's something that we're, we're going to see as a cultural shift too. Um, the, the people that are working from home are going to say, man, I can work from an RV also. And I, I don't have to be, you know, sitting in my living room all I'm the time really tired of looking at these same four walls I can look yeah at four or your, your, your living room could be mountains your living room can be a beach your living room can be a forest a lake whatever uh, that's exactly you know where i'm where i work um because i've been working from home since like march 17th and um that's something that they have said basically because we've had there's been like a couple of people that have moved out of state that were working downtown because we've proved that, yeah, we can do this from home and not, you know, through Skype and you're not Zoom. missing a beat. It's all okay. No. Yeah. And act, and like I told my boss, it's like, you know, my production's increased because there's, there's not the, you know, so-and-so stopping by your desk or getting into the conversation about, Hey, what movie did you see this weekend? Stuff like that. That's non-existent. And, you know, the last three months, my metrics have, you know, proven that, yeah, I'm actually a more productive person at home. So you know, I, I've threw it by him and say, Hey, you know, if, cause you know, my wife and I have talked about this and, you know, her employer is kind of non-committal at this point, but you know, if we decide this is something we want to do, um, by all means, you know, at least my, on my employer side, they've given me the green light to go ahead and do it. So, so let's talk about the kind of trips that you guys are taking. Pat, you just yep. came off of a massive road trip. To, road trip. We, we talked about it earlier. Non-RV road trip. Non-RV still, road trip, yeah. but the same, you could do it with an RV. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you guys went out to, to South Dakota, South Dakota and Wyoming. Yep. So what, what'd you see from the RV side? What, I know you look at, you take these trips, you've, you've done, you've documented it and you've yeah. done route 66 and yep. a number of others. Um, what'd you, what'd you see? Uh, I tell you, it seemed like about every, cause we spent the bulk of the time 
out on I-90 by the time you hit it there in uh, what Sioux Falls, I think. Sioux Falls or Sioux City. I can never remember which Sioux one Sioux City is in Iowa. Yeah. Sioux Falls yep. is north. Yeah. That's where okay. Winnebago's built. Yep. That's right. Iowa. Man, Mason, the- where is that? Forest? No. What's the name of that? I can't remember. Forest City. Forest City. That's yeah, that's it. right yep. by there. And um, so we spent a, you know, however long that drive across I-90 is across South Dakota, three or 400 miles or whatever it is. Um, it, it, it seemed like every, the important thing is every three miles, there's a sign for wall drug. There is. Yes. And <laughs> we, I made two stops there going and coming back home. So yeah, you had to get your nickel, uh, coffee and your free ice water. I got my free ice water, did not get any coffee, but I got free bumper <laughs> stickers. So yes. Um, but yeah, it seemed like about every eight to 10 vehicles going either way on I-90 was an RV. Um, didn't notice it as much once we got like back into Illinois on I-74 back into Indiana, but definitely out in South Dakota, it is, it, it was very, very heavily populated with RVs on I-90. And, um, by the time we got out to, we stayed in, uh, Custer and which is about 40 miles or so south of Rapid City. And, um, even there, I mean, I mean, it's just, US 16 is just dotted with little campgrounds all over the place. And a lot of them were kind of high end class A motor homes. Um, I'm guessing retirees most likely. Um, but wealthy I'm, tech billionaires, I'm there, sure. Yes. Well, uh, side note, speaking of wealthy tech billionaires, um, we stayed at a little motel called the Rocket Motel in Custer. And so I was, when we were there, I was reading up on the place. I got Custer on named after General Custer. Yes. And, um, so Adam I'm reading Pinatari's up on the place. Uncle. Who? Adam Vinatieri's uncle, the Colts legend. Oh, is it? Yeah. Wasn't know. it Custer's like, yeah, it was. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Know. Colts expert over here. Yes. <laughs> if you've watched any Colts game, you've heard this Adam Vinatieri story. Anyway, moving on. Anyway, um, so actually his, his uncle was in the, uh, in Custer's group, but he was, it wasn't Custer himself. Anyway, oh, nice. m- moving on. Okay. Total sidebar. I wish Chase was here. <laughs> So, um, I was reading up on this motel we were staying at and, um, found out that, um, crap. And now his name just escaped me. Uh, Tesla guy. Musk. Yeah. Elon, Elon Musk, Musk stayed at the Rocket Motel like six years ago because he was on a big cross country tour, um, with some other Tesla people and he was running low on juice and he knew somebody who knew somebody that lived in Custer. So they got him to the Rocket Motel, took his Tesla down to a campground to charge it up. And so we ended up spending the night there at the Rocket Motel. He was so impressed with his time in Custer that he spent, I can't remember how many millions of dollars putting like 20 some Tesla charging stations all throughout town and one at the Rocket Motel. That's wild. Yeah. So that was Custer's cool. now a supercharger hub. It is. It, <laughs> I, they say it's like the largest per capita <laughs> city in, in, in the U.S. So Custer's a cool spot. It's not overly touristy. It's no. not like Deadwood and some of the other spots right. out there. And that's what surprised us because we got in town on, on the 14th, which was a, a Sunday. And I, I think thought, it's an old gold mining city, if yeah. I remember right. Yeah. And um, there was like nothing open. Everything was... Sh- Either closed at like seven thirty, nine o'clock was the latest because it was welcome. Like, welcome to vacationing during the pandemic, right? Pat. right? And um, so it's like, well, shoot, because I had planned on like, because that was my birthday. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get into town, have a steak dinner. Time we got there, everything's closed. So I ended up walking down the gas station, got a little, couple little uh, hot dogs out of the thing. You know, if you, you brought know, your camper, you could have made your own steak. No, right. <laughs> 
Well, we, we would not have been there on my birthday. We would have been another day or so. Been a day out. or two later. Yeah. Fair enough. But, um, but yeah, it, it was, um, a lot of RV campgrounds out there. Um, beautiful. I mean, some just basically spots in a field, others more elaborate, higher end stuff that we, we talked earlier about the KOA on the way to Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Palmer Gulch. Yeah. And that place was gorgeous. I mean, we're like, wow. I I didn't look at the rates, but you just know that's one of those sayings where it's probably pushing 70, 80 bucks a night. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, uh, especially looking in the East Coast, we just came off of the New York trip. Um, (laughs) We we had state parks booked, and with the pandemic, New York hadn't opened their state parks yet. So I was almost running two vacations at that point where I had backup reservation planned a number of places. And... Yeah, some of the KOAs in the East Coast are well yeah. over a hundred dollars a night. It's yeah. it's unreal. It is. Uh, but yeah, that place at Palmer Gulch, they have you know they've got it's a full resort where they have campground sites. They have you don't have to have a camper to go there. You can stay in a cabin. You can stay. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. But beautiful. Uh, another right, right another thing I did notice when we were out there, probably more than any other trip we've taken, is I saw a lot of Cruise America classy motorhomes out the of rentals. Iowa. Yeah, the rentals which is like a big nationwide network of RV rentals that you can, I think they mainly do classes if I'm not mistaken. Um, but saw a lot of those. I saw, I saw a very good close up of a back end of one as it was trying to meander its way through Custer park right in front of us. <laughs> so that was, that was a little, uh, as an RV owner, those are kind of fun to roll in because you're like, this is going to be fun Yeah, because they usually <laughs> they don't know, don't quite doing. know what they're doing. Exactly. You just kind of sit back and like, that's when you hope that you're sat down and you're like getting your chair and you get your drink. You're like, just going to be entertained <laughs> for a few minutes by this. And I'll, I'll offer to help if I feel like I can help. Cause usually you try to be helpful if you're in a campground, but yeah, they're usually kind of entertaining to at least to see. At least those folks are, are in a, it's a, it's a vehicle. So it's still a somewhat natural it, when right. they're backing up a, a trailer. It's even. You know, a perfect example that if you guys have never seen the movie RV with Robin Williams, <laughs> spot on right there is what you're talking about. Oh yeah, the um, the dump station the scene dump station when he's trying scene. to empty yep. the sewer hose. Yeah, classic. I think that movie's probably cost you more customers than gotten you customers, though, Rusty. I think I think people are traumatized. It's a funny I've never movie, had, though. It's that never gone that horribly wrong for me. <laughs> yeah, and I'm an idiot, and I've I've never had that happen. <laughs> I've had a couple close calls. I've had some where the I caught it. The valves were open, but the dust cap was still on and I caught it. And so there's a foot, there's this much of the worst stuff you've ever encountered. And you're you're like, make sure that your feet are back far enough to try to get the cap. (laughs) I'm like, this is not going to be good. Yeah, I've had an incident or two as well, where it's like my coupler wasn't on quite as tight as it needed to be. And when it's, yeah. So, so so when you're sitting in the RV parts store and there's a $15 sewer hose and there's a $50 sewer hose, it's money well spent. Yes. You don't want to put By your the, finger through that hose. Buy the no. premium hose. Yes. Buy the premium hose. <laughs> it's not a matter of if you'll have a, an accident. It's a matter of when you'll have an accident at the dump station. So Yeah, you don't want the hose you can stick your finger it's through. It's a rite of passage. What's the, official, yeah. what's the official? You should replace your sewer hose every so many years. I've never heard. I've never heard. Um, you guys you, have a rule? Usually, I mean, I'd be like every three months. You need the, the worst is, though, when that, when that customer comes in and they have that sewer hose or other sewer parts, and they just bring them into your store and they just flop them on the counter and say, hey, I need these. <laughs> you knew one of these. And it's like, you know, you may be comfortable with that, but I'm definitely not had, comfortable with yeah. that. I had a part break on a toilet on a trip, and we had to pick it up at a, a dealership that was on the way, and I couldn't, and I had the one, the old one. It was on the 
freshwater side of the toilet. I was not going to roll around with like, it wasn't like the valve at the bottom, but nobody in any, in that dealership wanted to be within three feet of me holding this part that I told them was to a toilet. It was kind of funny. I'm like, I'm not like, I'm not going to throw it. Yeah. But they're like, they're backing away. But yeah, I can see people. I know I ran that. an RV parts store for like three years and it was amazing how many people would come in with like a broken, like black water tank valve and just like flop it on the counter with stuff crusted on it. And you're just like, <laughs> No. Gee, thanks, dude. Yeah. I think uh, he's not paying cash. Bring it in. So, real quick, I want to get into this with Pat. Pat, yep. uh, you, I sent you on the... I want you to explain this, because I don't know if anybody's actually going to understand it from a distance. I sent you on the world's strangest scavenger hunt. Oh, yes. Ago. Yes. I was hoping we'd get to this. Yes. So, my, my mother is from South Dakota, and her family is yeah. from out there. And I mentioned it. When I saw that you were going out to the Black Hills, I'm like, hey, just a kind of passing thing. And I said, hey, my parents, are, my grandparents are buried out there. Yep. And the next thing I know, you text me and you're like, Hey, I'm in scenic South Dakota. Yep. Sent you pictures of main street, the old jail that's there. Yeah. And, um, it, it's, it, it was neat. It was, it, it is was a ghost a, town. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of people I think that still might live there. Um, but what was odd about that? And I don't think I shared this with you. We, we get there and we see the old jail, the old saloon that's all boarded up and everything. So we pull over there, going to get out and take a few pictures. And there's this, there's this classy motorhome sitting, I don't know, 20, 30 feet away from us. And it was running. I just thought it was somebody who pulled over was going to do the same thing. No, this lady gets out of it and she starts walking towards us with this photo album. It's this. And, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, in the whole pandemic thing. And my wife is, you know, and we're both kind of skittish about people getting too close to us at this point. Right. And so this lady just kind of gets right in our space. And, um, she says, yeah, I used to live here like, you know, 30 or 40 some years ago. And she opens up this, this photo album that shows pictures of inside that, that saloon bar. And she's like, yeah, this is the guy that used to own it. And that's me. <laughs> this, these are little pictures from like 1985. She's been or sitting something. there for three weeks, waiting, just waiting for you to, to get there to show up. <laughs> but yeah, she had an interesting story. She was like 69 years old, had just retired, I don't know, like in December or something. Bought this probably 20 year old classy motor home and sold everything and hit the road with her dog. Wow. And so basically she calls the road home now, but, um, it, it was an interesting encounter for sure. Um, the first time I rolled into that town was in 1996 in a, in 1983 Suncrest class A motor home. On a Chevy. That was a West Coast build. But uh, my parents had the... It was a seafoam uh, uh, green interior. Beautiful. Nice. Beautiful vehicle. So, yeah, <laughs> that was the first time I was ever in scenic was was in one of those. Yep. And so we just kind of cruised around town. Weren't really sure where the cemetery was. So we, we headed... Because I know you had mentioned that it was like a mile north of town or so. So we headed north out of town. My wife's looking at the maps. Like, well, I think there's a cemetery up ahead. So we pull in there and... um it's like, just imagine like watching dances with wolves where it's just nothing but vast prairie land. And then you see this little section that has some trees around it with some fencing. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and it, it was what, maybe a quarter mile off the, the road yeah, that you I, turn off of. I sent it over and I said, first of all, he's never going to go there. And second of all, he will never find it. Even <laughs> if he does, I, I, I think I gave you a link to something. I'm like, this is a, this is a total wild goose chase. Best of luck, Pat. Yep. This will be a so, good story. So I, the, the family stays in the van because obviously we're thinking, I'm thinking it's like, 
First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to look to see what's on the ground outside when I open the door here. You're rattlesnake country. Oh, big time. Because I tell you, <laughs> that, that whole area had a feel of like I was out in Arizona. You are in the wilderness. It yeah. is. It is... It is not tame like Indiana. There's no. shit out there that will kill you. Spiders, yeah. snakes, scorpions. It's all out there. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so I walk up to the gate. The, the gate has this chain around it. So I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm not going to be able to get in. So I kind of look at it. Oh, okay. It's just kind of wrapped around itself. So I undid it, opened the gate. And it, it was kind of a precarious situation, just thinking of the rattlesnakes <laughs> as I'm walking and looking in, what is there, probably two or 300 graves in there i'm guessing yeah, yeah. it's it's not, it's not very big no it, but it's big enough to where you still need to look on the ground to yeah. see what you might step on and so that that was a bit of a challenge in the 10 minutes or so i was in there and um so i start walking and boom there it is so i saw your grandpa's boot that was on his uh tombstone which was very cool and you said that was actually that's actually his boot his they had boot. it bronze yeah, yeah that was cool <laughs> yeah that was cool and um so paid my respects, took a picture for Jeremiah, said, everything looks good here. Yep. And back into Rapid City we went. Got so it. that was my uh, scenic South Dakota story. That that was probably one of the most memorable things on that trip. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. And it was it, at that time the uh, of the surviving children, most of them were together actually having a family in, in Arizona right then. So it was and, crazy and you were there. You, you, you sent the picture to your mom, I think, yep. at about the same time. And what was her... What was one of the first things she said to you about uh, me? Something about I hope you. Oh yeah, that? watch for snakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was that was her meeting thing. That was the other thing is I, I we had uh, one of the aunts, one of their children passed away last year, and I was like, I know it was cut. the grass was cut then, but it is not like here in Newcastle, uh, Zach, where we, you know South Mountain Cemetery mm-hmm. looks great all the time. This is a. Yeah, this is maybe one or two burials a year kind of a yeah, thing. Like call somebody ahead, let them know you're coming. So yeah, let them know so they traps. can get it cut for the twice a year it's going to get mowed. I was, yeah. I did not have high hopes for Pat's experience. So I was, <laughs> it was successful. Yes, I was like, yes, it was wild, yeah. wild times. So uh, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, you can go anywhere. That's the Zach. You've taken some big road trips too with the camper. Yeah, we did like a little loop of Michigan. We didn't go up in the Upper Peninsula, but we uh, kind of base camp for a couple of days around Houghton Lake. Actually, in a friend's. A relative of my wife, they have a, a little cottage, and so we just camped in the driveway for a couple of days, and then we went and did uh, Silver Lake and then Holland and came back down. And then a couple of years ago, we took our last camper and um, down to South Carolina and camped on the – we were at a campground on the beach in Edisto Island, which is one of the best pictures I have of any of my campers sitting there with palm trees and the sun coming through, and it's completely surrounded by sand. And my kids, the whole campsite was, there was no grass to be grown anywhere there. It was just a big sandbox. And I was like, Oh, this is what this is about. It was like to, and we were, you know, a 15 second walk from the beach. Um, so we've done Gatlinburg a couple of times and then we do our track camping. But yeah, the trip to South Carolina was fun and we're kind of looking forward to the next, uh, longer trip where we take like a week, week and a half and go travel around and a couple days here, a couple days there. And it's nice to have everything, everything you just kind of, once you get set up, and you're like, okay, now everything I've got this settled up and go find somewhere to go use it as a base camp or do whatever. So the That's nicest right. thing for me is when I get, I we're done the end of the night and I'm taking my contacts out and I know exactly where my glasses are, right? Like all of that stuff is just sitting there where I want it. I'm it's still it. working on that. We got a new camper last year and <laughs> my wife's in charge of the inside. I'm sitting at the outside. I still don't know where half the stuff is. I'm constantly bugging my wife. Like, 
where is this? I'm like, I knew where it was on the last camper, but our last one we kept for like 12 years. So I figured out where everything was on that one. This one, I'm still figuring it out. I say you guys should, uh, at least for the 500 this year, we might have some open spot in my front yard. So that's possible. I've got, uh, so everybody, we'll talk about the Indy 500 for a second. Everybody's got their own plan and what they like to do. And I've always done the, I have an infield parking pass and we set up a big tailgate in the infield. However, with this year, that's very possible that we could stay at Camp Bremer in the front yard and still get to the infield and get in and park okay. Yeah. Or say the hell with the infield pass cells. We're not going to have you. our trailer there because that's going to be yeah, out in yours, County. Yours is so, out. I don't have um, one of those 18-foot models. So I got a 29-footer or 31-footer. Well, you might be replacing uh, about a 27-foot Airstream that's <laughs> usually there. So <laughs> It might be okay. And then Zach Zach always camps there, but he's in Lot 6 or somewhere in that range. Yeah, I'm in Lot 6. So I'm, I'm, I'm in your neighborhood. Yeah. I'm right off of Auburn. Oh, yeah, in um, that little wooded area? Yeah. Back there? I know where you mean. Yep. Yeah, and so, yeah, we got some trees. And yeah, there is – it's around the 500. The creatures of habit are incredible because, like, our lot, there'll be a line – a quarter mile out to 25th street and then a half mile out 25th. And you're like, we're never going to get our spot. And then you realize everybody in front of you is going to the same spot they've been going to for 20 and you years. Always get your spot. And you're like, Oh, look, there's the tree over there. There's a little scant down in the corner. He's always camped there. And yeah, we always end up pretty much where we need to be. So I'm hoping it's, let's hope for cool weather this year, but yeah. And then do a live remote uh, podcast. It's very possible. See, we will, we will talk off air. It's very possible. You know, the Cavoyans did that. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, Pat was going that direction. Yeah. Um, they, they did a pot. They use Bob and Becky Cavoyan usually do a podcast from Checkerboard Square, as they call it. They, they camp in lots, uh, three. They're on 16th Street on the pavement. And, um, I went over there. I think it was last year and, um, they were doing a podcast and said, yeah, if you want to bring some friends. So. Me and a couple that I know that I actually sold a trailer to working one of the shows. Um, they were in lot C, like right down the way from them. And, uh, so I got, uh, we got there and, you know, Bob and Becky said, well, our first guest, we'd like to call it Pat. I'm like, <laughs> Cause I li- little was just, that your first podcast? That was. Wow. So this is my second. You're an so, expert now. Yeah. Except it wasn't on TV or anything, but, uh, but no pressure being with the Hall of Fame broadcaster, right? <laughs> I, I mean, a guy who's you know interviewed. You well, know, you have taken a step down. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I got to know them by um, kind of sneaking them into the uh, RVIA show that was down in uh, Louisville for a couple of years, so that way they could look at airstreams before the airstreams actually came out. So. That's how I got to know them. Thank you, Twitter, because Twitter opened so many crazy doors. It's just unbelievable. It's like I was listening to Bob Cavoyan when I was like in ninth grade when they first came to town. And here I am sitting down in Louisville having lunch with him. Like, where have I come? You know, I, I looked out. He, he stepped away one time. He had his phone on the table. And I, I looked down and the phone lights up. It's like Pat McAfee calling him. Like, yeah. It's like I knew then. It's like I'm in a different place. I'm usually at. Yeah. <laughs> So, oh, that's funny. But, well, my mother-in-law's in the chat and she's watching this and she wants to know if she can bring her big old Laredo too. So she's only 36 feet long. I'm sure you got room for that too. Um, probably the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She might not right. be in the yard, but we could probably wedge that's, her in the this driveway. Is, this is the year to, uh, to try different stuff. You know, the, the, the Indy 500, this is the year we've got differences and it's not your normal deal. So maybe this is the year we, tr- we break up some traditions. And when it comes to parking logistics, there's no better community than Speedway, Indiana. Agreed. In accommodating the it's accommodating, craziness. figuring out how to put people in spaces. And I never, in one of the 
interesting features about Speedway that I love to point out to people is when you roll into Speedway, all of a sudden the sidewalks get a car length away from the street. Yep. So you can park a car between the street and the sidewalk. Nowhere else <laughs> will you ever see that happen. Yeah, we, we can't park in our yards any other time of the year. You know, code enforcement will come by and knock on our door. And every, but... <laughs> every fenced in backyard has a gate that's big enough to get a camper through oh, yeah. <laughs> type thing. Yep. So, well, yeah. now uh, I will tell you from experience, Pat's very gracious and will share his yard with you. But the city of Speedway will not let you out of his neighborhood because after the race, they shut down every exit to his neighborhood. Yeah. You are trapped. I, I have spent two hours <laughs> trying to get out of his neighborhood. That's what it takes. And, and there's no car. Nobody else is parked in his neighborhood. I mean, you, you get out there and there's, there's nobody there, but they barricade everything. And if you try to get out, there's police there. Now you can't come out. Yeah. I'm an infield guy. So I, I'm just, when the race is over, everybody's got their own routine and what they do and they, you know, a quarter million people show up at this race and they all do very similar things year after year after year. And you get into this routine, but we, we park in that infield, get there. I get in line at three in the morning. I get in the track. They open the gates at six. I'm, I'm in my spot by seven. I know I got to sober up by race time. And then when the race is over, we, we usually cook our second round of hamburgers and hot dogs and we're not out of the track until six o'clock in the evening anyway. So wow, that's the way it goes. That's, so just, I have that's the race experience. Question. Yes, sir. So having an RB dealership, Around race time every year. Well, typically the race is in May. So sometime in March, my phone starts ringing off the hook and it's every race car driver. That's what I was going to ask. Hey, do you guys have an RV I can use? I know that we had a neighbor. I got fortunate enough to get infield camping for the Grand Prix, which I don't get to do this year. And the first year we had a neighbor on the corner. And it was (laughs) a, uh, he was, it was a loner from your dealership, I believe. And it was Doug Bowles. Yeah. And so you guys set him up for a, with a camp. For the we, we've done that a few different times. Um, but so the, so my, but my question is through Doug, through some of the race car drivers, one year through the Gordon Pipers, I get these infield parking passes. The one year I, I with the Gordon Pipers, I had a police escort to get me into the infield. I have not once parked in the infield because you can't get in the infield. So my question is, if you have the infield passes, how do you park in the infield? I, I line up on 16th street at four o'clock in the morning. And when the gates You'd open have up, to. I, I come in and they let me in. My pass gets me in. And then I am in the Zach joined me for my tailgate last year. Uh, it is, it is absolute madness. And it is as long the state police roll through on their golf carts. And as long as nobody's killling anybody, it is pretty much as close to a lawless thing. You're going to get my campground is like a campground. It's yeah. got trees, a little path you pull offside. I walk into his area and it's like Mad Max. It's <laughs> like mud holes everywhere. There's just people wandering aimlessly. No idea that there's a track around them. I'm like, and my wife's like, yeah, we're, how does anybody do this? I was like, yeah, we, we just have a different little life out there in a little quiet <laughs> area. And so, so yeah, every, it will, yeah, but I can, I can, I'm in the track, I can hang out and then I can go to my seats in turn three and then I can come back and I'm, I'm it's low. It's low maintenance. I started out as I would be the guy that walked in. My dad works for Allison Transmission, so I'd park off of 10th and Polco and I'd walk into the track and I'd have my free parking spot. And then I was like, when they finally started selling infield parking spots, I'm like, I'm going to buy one of those and I'm just going to be inside and not have to stress out about anything. Cause I used to buy the giant cooler and then have the one mile hike up to turn yeah. three with my cooler. And then I'm like, I can get a car and bring it in and I've got all my stuff with me. So that was better. So as, as you get older, you start to learn that. And then you say, you know what? I don't want to fight anybody to be able to have my spot on the viewing mound. So I'm going to go ahead and buy some seats. 
And then the next evolution is going to be, you know what? I have a camper. I don't need this anymore. I've got my seats. I can go out and I can be in Pat's yard or I can be in lot six and I can show up at my, in my seats and I'm good to go and I don't have to fight the infield crowd. I told him the greatest thing about camping at the track is the cannon goes off on race morning and then you go back to bed. Yeah. Cause you're in bed. You never get used to like, Oh, tracks open when the when the cannon goes off i've been in traffic one suggestion one thing i could think of trying to get in the infield is hide on 16 somewhere and when a when a motorcade goes by just jump on the back of the line so so the one year (laughs) your best the one year we were working with the gordon pipers we all met in downtown indianapolis and they had a police escort because the gordon pipers i don't are they still doing that they they, oh yeah every year they're there yeah historically they've been doing that right i know they used to do the colts games though too and i don't think they're with the colts anymore that's what, that's what I was asking. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so we, we were set up, we all meet downtown and they had all the, all the pipers and they were, they were going to do this like caravan and everybody lines up police officer in the front, police officer in the back. They had some in the middle at different intersections to wave you through. And right about the time we were turning onto 16th street, some, there was literally a police officer runs in the middle of the road. We were about three from the back of the caravan. Police officer runs in the middle of the road, starts waving their hands to, for us to stop right in front of my vehicle. And of course, there goes the rest of the car- <laughs> caravan. And there's like three of the Gordon Pipers behind us, right? right? So like one of the Gordon Pipers runs out and it's like screaming to me, like, why did you stop? You know, we lost him. And, and I'm like, there's a police officer standing in front of my car. I'm not going to run him over, you know? And, um, so we ended up on 16th street. This was probably six o'clock in the morning, maybe just before six. Yep. And, um, we were probably, well, we got to the old Bush Stadium, and to get from one side of Bush Stadium to the other was like forty-five minutes. You were trapped at that point. You were stuck in. We the were traffic. stuck. Yeah, you're not even Speedway yet, right? You're yeah. you're miles away. We yeah. we we ended up sitting for about two hours, and and we had we had sweet passes, we had garage pit passes, all that stuff. I'm like, I want to get there. Yep. Right. I want to go through all and do all the fun stuff that that we had the the ability to do, and um, we ended up parking like two and a half miles away. <laughs> In front, there's like an old furniture store or something yeah. on the side of the road, and they're like ten bucks to park here. We're like, okay, done. It, it, it took a, it was like a and now, and now like you're a thirty minutes, and all of a sudden you went there. from the elite to a poor person. Yeah, well, and I, just, yeah. I, I had that, you that's lost what I'm your saying. status. I had I had the infield passes, yeah. but that's what I said. How do you get in there? Because I've had the infield passes other years, and I'm like, forget it. I'm not even gonna try. Yeah, you just get in line once you get up to the uh, once you get up to the gate. That pass will get you in, but you have to just suffer keep, through and just keep pointing at it. the line. Yeah, I, I've just found that you guys talked about parking in yards. If you go on the south side of the track, there's a huge neighborhood there. Anywhere from 10 to 20 bucks, you can park there. It's like a 15, 20 minute walk to the track. Yep. That's what we've done every year since. It's a balance. It, it is a crazy balance between, and this year will be totally different because they're going to have the half, half of the fans there. Um, maybe. But it, <laughs> maybe. It, it's a wild balance between you can park really close and be and not have much to walk, or you can park further away and outwalk the traffic and actually be able to get home. Yeah, right. You, it's a it's a it's a strange world. Especially towing, like I have to wait. I do not want to try and even I wait till Georgetown. I can see cars just rolling on Georgetown, which is less now because they've shut down and went in Georgetown. Because if you go too early, you might be able to get out. The traffic's not bad, but you don't know where the state police are gonna send you. Right. Because sometimes like I want to go east and they'll send me, and the next thing I know, I'm like, I'm in Avon. Why am I in Avon? And I'm like, and I'm in Avon, and I'm getting eight miles a gallon. I don't want to get. I, I want to be going the other way because I want to go home. So yeah, you have to kind of watch. If there's a, uh, it's a an odd ballet getting in and out of the track on race day. I think that's why a lot of people who are campers they they stay Sunday night and and just head out Monday. Well, the the tip I got one time that that is proven 
pretty accurate is don't go east and west on race day. Always go north and south. Yep. When I when I leave the track from the infield, they always send me out 16th Street. And whether you want to or not, you're going to go east on 16th Street to downtown. So you end up back at Methodist Hospital or at Meridian Street, and then you get to make a decision. That's the first time you can actually decide what you want to do, which is fine because I'm actually heading east and it, it whatever. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, just the, I, that's the, the pattern. Pretty much the same set of parkers that hang out in my uh, yard every year, and because I've got the campers, and then I got some people that just drive in on race day to park at my uh, driveway. But I, like you know, I friends or their their clients at this point. Uh, they just know, yeah, yeah, friends, family. How long you have you lived it. in Speedway? Uh, be eighteen years this this fall. What's the longest tenured person in your parking in your yard? Oh boy, because that's a whole thing. I mean, there are people that have been camping in the same spot, doing the same thing with the same people. I'm gonna say because I I met a bunch of well, actually, I met Jeremiah through the John Andretti yeah. fan page. Yep, and um, so I know we have two people there, Jeff Terry. And, um, Kelly, she's, I'd say it's one of those two. Um, cause this goes back even before we were putting campers in there. Cause we didn't start doing this until we bought ours, like in 2010, I think was the first year we had campers. And, um, but yeah, I think it was, it probably goes 2005 or six, probably when, as far as the longest tenured. I want to say Pat and I met strangely on the internet, just like I met Guffy in a, in a city park, uh, years ago. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I met Pat on, on that message board, yeah. probably 2003, 2004. Yeah, it was early 2000s. It's, it's been a minute. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, Jennifer's in the chat and she says that Kelly was your, your very first client. It was Kelly. Thank yeah, you. There you go. <laughs> That's my wife. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, it's either Kelly or Jeff. Jeff, he comes in from, uh, Hammond. He's, uh, he works or, He's a uh, basically a nuclear scientist instructor at uh, Illinois Tech. So we hear some interesting stories from from the gang. Um, and usually that's like what I tell everybody that comes in. And they already know because usually after the race, everybody gets back to the yard. We just sit and talk because they know that they're, they're not going anywhere. Yep. And like I said, usually it clears out in my neck of Speedway, Speedway at about two hours after the checkered flag drops. So that's why I tell anybody that comes in. If you want to leave, you're just going to be sitting. So if you want to sit here and sit or stay here and sit, then, um, and usually we do, we, we have, gosh, sometimes 15, 20 people just hanging out. You know, we'll have leftovers from the little get together we had Saturday night and cold brews and waters and all that good stuff and just talk about the race and. Who got screwed and <laughs> how the hell did Sato win? Nobody understands. How did Sato win? And thank God Marco didn't win. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now we're upsetting the fans. All right. This is, this is the time in the show where we start to work into final thoughts and, and clean up anything that we missed. So we'll start, we'll go right to left here. We'll start with producer Chris. Anything you got to promote? Anything you got going on? Uh, nope. Just the girlfriend and I are going to do a little getaway on Friday. You um, need a camper? I do not. We have an Airbnb. <laughs> So, uh, you know, for just $125 a month, you could have a brand new Salem. Yeah, but I'm going to be attached to that thing for quite a while. We have, <laughs> we have, we have other purchases we want to make before that. Uh, but yeah, so I'm just going to go to Bloomington, little Nashville for a day or two and then come back and enjoy Fourth of July. Hopefully at Memorial Park. So if you're there, just holler at me and I'll see if I'm there. Very good. Will we be in overtly patriotic, uh, stuff? You're going to be in uniform? No. You, you're not going to? No. Nah, no. probably not. 
My my plan is thank you for your service, by the way. I hate you already. My uh, <laughs> my plan is to actually park at the far end of the soccer field and then put my Tacoma in four wheel drive and drive right up that hill at the end of the show, so I can just go right on three. It's an anti American vehicle to drive. You're supposed to drive in a Chevrolet. <laughs> it's made for, in America, baby. Is that a Princeton, Indiana vehicle? Where is that made? I don't know. All I know is made in America. I know mine's made in Texas. I don't even know where yours is made. So that's just sad. All right. Anyway, Rusty, thank you for being here, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's a good time. What, uh, if people want to get hooked up with a camper, how, how do they find you? Where do they go? What do they do? Uh, well, we're on the east side of Indianapolis. Um, probably we got a Greenfield address, but we're on I 70 Mount Comfort Road, pretty much halfway between Indy and Greenfield. Um, and we have, like we talked about, we have everything from, maybe a $5,000 used trailer up to $500,000 diesel pushers and um, kind of everything in between. And, you know, right now we have about half of what we used to have, but we still have a huge inventory. I mean, I think 250 some units in stock available for sales, probably more than anybody else in the state. So it's can still probably find something for you. You can still find something. Yeah. You might have to compromise a little bit more, but still something. You guys have a lot of real lights. I noticed that on the way. Yeah. (laughs) Small trailers. (laughs) Nice small trailer they have. I, would recommend one. Yes. That's it. All right. And Pat, what are we promoting? What, what do you got? Um, I got not, not a whole lot. What's the website? Small trailer enthusiast.com. And what do you guys do over there? I know um, you've had, you've had the opportunity to tour manufacturers. You've done reviews on, on yeah, products. I, it's just a blog that I started about nine years ago after, you know, I got, I first got into this and, um, I just thought, well, you know what? There's like nothing out there that kind of, you know, as a resource for other people, you know, looking for trailers on the smaller end of things. So I just created this website, blog, whatever you want to call it, where I write. We call some that stuff. a media empire. If you're media in the podcasting empire. world, you you, yes. you talk big. Well, we'll talk about my Google AdSense decline here, some other <laughs> show. But anyway, um, but yeah, it. it uh, I basically do. You know, if I see a trailer out there, I kind of like. I'll do like a little review on it, but. You know, the big part of the website are the links that I've got posted. And um, if you go there, it's on a manufacturer's tab up at the top. I've got like over 200 uh, links to various manufacturers that, you know, it helps. It either helps or hinders your decision making because then, you know, it's like going into some of these restaurants where it has every type of food on the menu. Then you don't know what to what to eat. But uh, um, so yeah, it's mainly just a resource for, uh, kind of like-minded small trailer people and, um, check it out. And, um, I've got my email on there. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email and I'll give you, uh, give you my opinions on whatever you got. Very cool. Zachary. I've got nothing to push. I'll do the same thing. I always push L and K produce. They're, they're, uh, their produce stands open. It's they're doing the honor system after six o'clock. I went by there and left with all kinds you mean, of beef. You mean you can actually buy a watermelon at one in the morning in this town finally? Yeah. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And let's be honest, that's the best social distancing plan ever because you can go there when nobody's there and get your watermelon, throw your money in the door slot. and You have to make sure you have the proper Yeah, you did plenty because I picked up a beef box and said, I'll take 20 pounds of ground beef and they're like, got it. So I think the beef boxes might be a little backed up, but they've got stuff in there to go buy, so... It's good stuff. I enjoy it. We, uh, last weekend, we, or was it two weekends ago, Sarah? I don't remember anymore. We got ourselves an LK beef box. I looked in the freezer and it looks very full. So I, it sounds like we're doing very well. I don't know. We're, uh, we have, we have the meats just like Arby's. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you guys very much. I hope uh, hope everybody enjoyed this. It's a little bit of diversion. You guys are going into uh, Independence Day weekend, and I thought that uh, talking about the RV lifestyle and maybe a, a change in the in the COVID world of a different a different hobby to get into would be uh, be something interesting. So thank you very much, Pat and Rusty, for joining us, and uh, producer Chris, as always, for showing up except for last week, and uh, and Zach, thank you for coming in on forty two minutes notice. That's amazing. I tried. Uh, supposed to be back on next Thursday with uh, with Dakota, and uh, I don't know what we have planned. We'll figure something out. Thank you for listening to the Boss Hog of Liberty, which is part of the We Are Libertarians network. I am Chris Spangle, and I am the founder of this network. And I invite you to listen to all of our shows, which you can find at wearelibertarians.com or by searching for these in your podcatcher. The flagship show is the We Are Libertarians podcast, where we apply libertarian principles to current events. The Brian Nichols show is a conversation amongst Republicans, Democrats, libertarians, independents, as they talk about what is happening in the news. And we have many other podcasts like The Chris Spangle Show, Upward, The Cost, Raw Audio Politics, Miranda's World, and Tad Talk, which is quite a ride. So check all of these out. Go to WeAreLibertarians.com and you can check out all of our great podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at WeAreLibertarians.com.